Hello and welcome to the Two Guys Four Balls podcast. Hello and welcome to another Two Guys Four Balls podcast. This is Patrick. With me, as always, is Julius. And we're going to get right into the football. I know that's what y'all want to hear. And we're going to go straight into Thursday night. Uh, Vikings at Eagles, Julius. Yes, sir. So Thursday night football. In a score that's a little bit closer than the game was, uh, the Philadelphia Eagles keep their undefeated season going, taking out the Minnesota Vikings 34-28. to uh, If you're watching this game, very sloppy start to this. And that was a theme for a lot of the night games for whatever reason uh patrick talked about the slow starts around the league it seems like that carried over uh for a lot of teams into week two so you had a comedy of errors to start this game off uh back-to-back fumbled punts uh jalen hurts threw an interception early on Uh, alexander madison who did absolutely nothing in this game had a fumble you had busted read options that left jalen hurts just open for hits around the line of scrimmage Jake Elliott missed a field goal. Now, granted, a 55-yarder, so I'm not going to be too harsh on him, but it just added to the comedy error. You saw everything I just listed all happened in the first quarter. So just an ugly, sloppy start both ways in this game. Uh, You had Theo Jackson come up with an interception in this game. He got beat earlier by Devontae Smith. They tried to go back at him again. He came up big with a play, so I give him credit for Uh, the the ability to quickly turn around and have that short memory you need to have as a defensive back. After all of this mess to start the game, the Eagles finally realized, you know, we do well, run the ball. And so their first touchdown drive, DeAndre Swift on that drive alone had eight carries for 38 yards. And it was an 18-play drive with mostly runs. If it wasn't Swift, it was Hurts on design runs. This set the tone for the rest of the game. This ended up being a monster game for DeAndre Swift. Uh, Swift, of course, ended up with 175 yards in this game. And this was the, just the third time in Swift's career that he's had more than 15 carries in a game. And he had 28. So it's just interesting to see a guy who's been sparingly used throughout his career, who was barely used at all just last week, all of a sudden on a short week, uh, have 28 carries. That was interesting to see, but it looked like Swift got stronger and stronger. So I'm very curious to see what his workload looks like moving forward, especially once the Eagles get Kenneth Gainwell back, which could be as soon as next game. Uh, this game swung on a play where Justin Jefferson was going for a touchdown and he fumbles the ball over the pylon. The Eagles get the ball on a touchback. They end up getting a long field goal, a 61-yarder to end the half. So that's a 10-point swing you're looking at. Uh, and that's what happens to struggling teams, especially when they're facing good teams. You have you look like everything's going your way, and all of a sudden, one big mistake, and bam, 10-point swing just like that. Uh, then you get to the second half. Josh Sweat absolutely destroys Ali Udo, who was filling in for Christian Darisol on a strip sack. That led to another Eagles touchdown, and Kirk Cousins really got beat up in this game. You felt the impact of Christian Darisol not being out there. You felt the impact of the starting center, Grant uh, Garrett Bradbury, NC State, not out there. And then <laughs> your backup left tackle gets carted off the field. So uh, how much of a chance do you really have there? 
So Philadelphia from there, able to ride the run game. Uh, the second week in a row, Philadelphia didn't finish the game strong, but they did enough to hold on to win. Uh, as for the Vikings, two big issues with them. One, four turnovers in this game. That gives them seven through the first two games of the season. Good luck winning games, turning the ball over at that pace. And only 28 yards rushing. We've talked about how the Vikings have relied on the pass game too much, plan to rely on the pass game too much. So Kirk Cousins, another big game. Uh, he's got over 700 yards passing, but he has got an 0-2 record to show for all those sparkly yards that you guys love. And, you know, Jordan Addison, their first-round pick, did have another long touchdown in this game, so he's paying off. And, you know, the Vikings were able to take advantage of a shorthanded secondary of the Eagles, a secondary that was missing James Bradbury the fourth, that was missing Reed Blankenship. But, again, all that for what? Uh, just to lose another game. I'll give Daniil Hunter credit. He had three sacks in this game, and you, you don't normally see a pass rusher go off on the Eagles offensive line, especially in a game where Hurts only attempted 23 passes. Uh, so that's a little uncharacteristic for the Eagles and something they need to clean up. Uh, but overall, the Eagles get by yet again. They move on. They're 2-0. The Vikings, they're 0-2, and they'll be facing a mirror of themselves in the Chargers next week. We'll see who can come through in that game and not just get passing yards, but actually win a game. All right, so I'm going to start with the winning team, the Philadelphia Eagles. And um, as Julius already talked about, their run game was dominant. But it wasn't just this game. Their, rain, their run game was dominant again. And I don't know why coordinators feel the need to overthink what they're doing in games. Um, I'm not as worried about Hurts in the passing game as other people. But just stick to your strengths. And your strengths in this game, because Minnesota's run defense is porous, just run the ball. And like you said, DeAndre Swift... How many times has he had over 15 carries? Like, what you said, three in his career? Man had 28 carries for 175 yards and probably could have had more if they didn't try to force feed A.J. Brown because he was having a hissy fit on the sideline. Um, <laughs> again, you know, A.J. Brown's a great receiver, and but you're winning the game, and mm -hmm. and you, the run game is unstoppable. So what, what are you complaining about? I just don't get it. Like, the Eagles just need to win games. They're, we're not trying to. Who cares about beating the Vikings sixty to thirty-two? Right, like that. That shouldn't matter at this point in the season. You're just trying to get as many W's as you can and try to be as healthy going into the postseason. So, I feel like week two on a Thursday night game where your run game is pretty much not being stopped. I feel like that's not the time to start throwing sideline fits about not getting the ball. And then what did they do? He only had three targets going into that sideline fit. They force-fed him three straight passes. And they go three and out. Which at the time didn't look like a big deal, but then the final score eh, kind of made it a big deal. But I just don't I just don't understand why this is the game that, that you know happened. I understand that Devontae Smith caught two long passes and one was for a touchdown, and so maybe he was feeling some type of way about that. And Smith got the two touch got the touchdown in week one and he didn't. So I don't know if that's what he's feeling about. It. And then he almost got a touchdown, but he got called back because of a penalty. And then he got pass interfered with. I don't care what anyone says. I don't want I don't, the ref saying, the little ref on national TV saying, it was a bang-bang play. No, the guy was there early. Um, just like the guy was there early on Hawkinson, but they didn't call it on that one either because I feel like it was a makeup call. But, um, yeah, so, so I'm not worried about the run. The run game's dominant for the Eagles. They just need to stick to that. Their, their offensive line clearly likes to do running. Just stick with that. I don't think you need to drop Jalen Hurts back and prove that you guys can pass. The passing game will come to you as the season goes on as long as y'all are running the ball we've seen that happen throughout the history of the nfl you're a good run team 
you run the ball a lot, you're going to be able to start hitting play actions and opening up the field. And that's just what the Eagles need to do. They just need to be patient. Um, for me, the most concerning part, and I know there's a lot of injuries uh, for the quick turnaround for a Thursday night game, was their defense. But their defense also has a lot of new pieces. So there's going to be some struggles and some growing pains uh, within the new pieces that are play, playing. But again, uh, Jordan, Jordan Davis had a sack in this game. Uh, and two quarterback hits. So that's we talked about him all last year coming into the coming into the um, you know uh, as a rookie coming out of Georgia. And you talked about Josh Sweat. He had five quarterback hits just in the backfield almost all night. Um, you know you saw one of their uh, other Georgia um, draftees, Keely Ringo, get a tackle on on a punt return. So you know you got a bunch of Ge- got a bunch of Georgia guys out there running around for the Eagles. Um, and so that's what I'm most worried about. Again, they have two new coordinators. I know the head coach is the same, and they and everyone wants to think that the team is the same. But uh, when you get two new coordinators, two new philosophies, things like that, uh, even if it doesn't change that much, it's still just a different feel. So it's only week two. Eagle fans are overreacting for being two and zero, but you're you're winning games, so that's all that really matters. Uh, moving on to the Vikings, I know a lot of people are going to say that Kirk Cousins that this was all garbage time stats. Uh, and normally I agree. Uh, in this game, I don't feel that way. There was no run game, which I talked about in the preseason. I said they had no run game with Dalvin Cook. They're going to have no run game this season, and and they don't. Their O-line is awful. Uh, they haven't had a running game in two straight games. Uh, in my opinion, for how much Kirk was getting hit, and I know he had that one fumble, um, he actually played well in this game. And, and if JJ doesn't, if, Joyce, if Justin Jefferson doesn't, <laughs> Joyce, if Justin Jefferson doesn't, uh, doesn't fumble the ball, uh, out of the back of the end zone, this game would look a lot different. Um, it was 10, seven at the time of the fumble. Uh, at worst, you assume it will be 10, 10 going into half. Uh, so, you know, again, the game could look a lot different if, uh, Justin Jefferson doesn't fumble it out of the back of the end zone. And, 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 I don't know. I don't dislike the rule. I just wanted to put this out there for the listening world. It's just a weird rule that that is the only fumble that you don't get the ball back at the yardage that it went out in. It's just a weird kind of rule that I feel like the NFL just kind of threw in there. Because, like, if you think about it, Julius, any other time that someone fumbles the ball anywhere else on the field, you get the ball. You don't lose possession unless someone recovers it. That is the only fumble that, if no one recovers it, you lose the ball and you're in the and the person you're playing gets it at the twenty. If you fumble the ball out at the one yard line, you get it back at the one yard line. So it's just kind of one of those weird oddity rules in the NFL. I don't know if you'd put it at the one yard line if it fumbled out of bounds. I don't have another. I'm not trying to say they need to change the rule. That's not my point in that. I'm just saying it's just one of those weird rules of the NFL. Um, KJ Osborne had two really bad drops in this game. Uh, one was a touchdown, one was a, uh, first down. Um, but you know, the passing game for the Vikings isn't a concern. Most people knew that it would be good and it would put up yards and stats and all that. But as Julia said, you're not going to win too many games, uh, with four turnovers. They were all fumbles. Um, my biggest thing is if the Vikings start off 0-3 or 0-4, do they look to trade Kirk Cousins and are the New York Jets going to be the ones calling or another, quarterback hungry team that think that they're a quarterback away from making the playoffs uh, that's something that i would keep an eye on especially julius if the vikings do not get off do not get a win soon if, they, if they're 0 and 4 0 and 5 look look for that 
to be a major possibility. All right, going into the 1 o'clock games, we had the Green Bay Packers at the Atlanta Falcons. And uh, Julius's team to win the division, starting off 2-0. They were both home games, uh, but yeah. still, two two big wins. Again, it, it never hurts to start 2-0 uh, in a season. Um, and this game looked like a win for the Packers. Quickly turned into a W for the Falcons. Um, I know Love is getting a lot of hate for that final drive. Uh, I thought Jordan Love, again, for essentially being a rookie quarterback, I know he's not, but we're talking about actually starting games and leading these fourth quarter drives and things like that. I thought he played fine. I I mean, he didn't play great by any means, but I mean, he still threw three touchdowns. Um, You know, the run game in this for them, because Aaron Jones was out, was kind of anemic. Uh, A.J. Dillon was 15 carries for 55 yards. You know, not great. Um, You know, didn't have Christian Watson again. Uh, Romeo Dobbs is playing hobbled, uh, and I, Jordan Love still got three touchdowns for for the Packers. So uh, for a defense that I expect a lot more out of, um, I personally thought that they should have shut this game down when they when they were up and not give up the 13 points in the fourth quarter. Uh, but it's hard to win games when you score zero in the fourth quarter. Um, and for me, a lot of the blame I'm not gonna say a lot of it, but some of the blame should go to Jair Alexander. Uh, for me. You know, if he's going to be doing the lockup celebration or I got you in the seatbelt, uh, you you got to be able to – you can't drop that easy pick six. I hit him right in the hands, and that would probably have sealed the game. I'm not saying – I don't want to speculate what would have happened going from that point, but that probably would have uh, made it a lot harder for the Falcons to, to make that fourth quarter comeback win. Uh, and then he's also the one that gave up the touchdown to Drake London. Um Again, Love looked okay. Uh, he threw for three touchdowns, but uh, you can just tell. I feel like if if Aaron Rodgers was in the game, Julius, that this would have been a lot different of play calling. I feel like the Packers for the first two games, which is understandable, that I feel like their play calling is just very safe play calling right now. Um, I don't I don't see too many. Um, let's go win the game. I felt like it was like, let's not lose the game, if that makes sense, uh, until they had to, until they had, until they were down and had to make the comeback. Um, and I think that's what ultimately had them lose the game. I felt like they were playing a prevent offense, if we want to talk about it in terms of playing to not uh, lose the game. Uh, and last thing for me on the Packers is, um, again, their defense, who I'm very high on, uh, Quay Walker, who got a lot of flack for, again, I know the Packers wanted a receiver in the first round, Packer fans, but I know they were, a lot of them were um, not happy with the Quay Walker pick. That guy's just all over the field and has just been a menace for them for, through the first two weeks. Uh, he had 17 total tackles in this game. Uh, eight of those were solo, but still just all over the field, um, playing, playing very well. Moving over to the Falcons, um, Bijan is very special. You and I knew that coming into the draft. Uh, you and I were very, very high on him. You obviously way higher than him on me, but we were both still very high on this guy coming out. Uh, and with him there and with that running philosophy, they could do some very special things in this division. Um, shockingly, this division's a powerhouse, apparently, with three teams at 2-0, and but... Um, with Bijan there, it's going. It, it's it just takes this because again, Algier didn't have a good um, game this game, but but Bijan did, and um, again, just him in the open field is just something special to watch. Uh, Ritter didn't look good again to me. 
Uh, again, I'm not willing to give throw in the towel on Ritter. I'm going to give him time to grow. Again, uh, he started like five games last year, and so you know he's trying to get. It's only a second year quarterback, but um, I just don't think he's the guy that's going to get them over the hump. Again, they're a rebuilding team. Two and O is a great way to start, and and maybe they draft a quarterback. You know, in the in, in the next year or two, if if things don't kind of keep progressing, but. Drake London got donated week one. He got six catches and seven targets this this game and the touchdown. But Kyle Pitts, five targets, only two catches for 15 yards. Like, you just can't. You have playmakers on this team, right? It's not like you don't have great skill players. You do, especially with Bijan, Drake London, Kyle Pitts. Those are three electric players. Um, you you shouldn't be going 19 for 32. Um I just, you know, and a lot of them were missed throws. Uh, you know, I just don't, I don't think they can be serious contenders until they get a new quarterback. But again, I'm not willing to give up on Ritter yet. It's just, I feel like they're winning in spite of him versus because of him. And I get it. I know he threw the touchdown to Drake. I knew he ran the ball in for a touchdown. But again, he got that easy run in because they were so focused on Bijan that he literally got to walk into the end zone, essentially. Um, so... Uh, Atlanta only punted once, and and normally when that happens, Julius, that means you're going to win games. So again, Atlanta's defense uh, played really well in the fourth quarter. Um, you know, uh, the offense gave them enough points to win. And um, again, Bijan, man, just just super super special uh, player. And you know, I do want to give a shout out. Um, you know, to to just. Again, I know they I know they didn't have Christian Watson and all that, but uh, the Atlanta defense has been playing a lot better, and you called it. Uh, so I just want to give a shout-out to Julius for calling that. Their defense was going to look a lot better this year. I wasn't sold on them, but through two games, and again, I, I know they played the Panthers and Packers. They're not the most powerhouse offensive teams. Uh, but I just want to give a shout-out to Julius for um, being higher and so far correct uh, through two weeks on how this defensive unit for the Falcons would look. Yeah, I like how the Falcons defense looks so far, like you said. Um, this is a unit that I was expecting to take a big leap because of the moves they made in the offseason. Uh, we'll see moving forward. Uh, so far, you know, they've faced one quarterback making his NFL debut and another quarterback in Jordan Love, who's just now becoming a starter. So, you know, starting next week when they have to travel on the road and go to Detroit, an offense we know is pretty good, uh, we'll start to really get a feel for uh, just how improved this Falcons defense is. I did pick the Falcons to win this game. A lot of that had to do with the injury report going into this game. Uh, like I said, the Packers without their number one running back in Aaron Jones, without their number one wide receiver in Christian Watson, without their number one uh, tackle in David Bakhtiari. Uh, then within the game, you lose Elton Jenkins, one of your more versatile linemen. So that's just that's a lot of missing pieces for a quarterback as inexperienced as Jordan Love is. So uh, that was a concern for me in this game. And I thought at times you did see some of that. And that led to some of the uneven performance from Jordan Love. Uh, you mentioned that he did have three touchdown passes in this game. But one of those was one of those jet sweep plays that absolutely should not count as a passing touchdown. It should not count as a completed pass. But there's absolutely no passing motion involved in the play. Agreed. I, just, I, I just can't take statistically how they how they 
I'll record that. So uh, one of these days, the NFL will change it. No, because they love to inflate quarterback numbers. But uh, getting off of that soapbox, going getting to Desmond Ritter, to your point, last week I said, you know, I'd like to see Desmond Ritter, you know, attempt forward passes. That would help because we talked about how last week Ritter had four completions for no yards. And Ritter goes on in this game, and on the first possession, he throws an interception to Russell Douglas. So I, I felt bad right away for giving that advice because he took the advice and, bam, a turnover. Maybe they knew what they were doing, throwing the ball sideways with Desmond Ritter. I will say, for the most part, Ritter did settle in to some degree after that. You did mention the Jair Alexander dropped interception, uh, so that's another bad pass. But uh, Ritter was okay otherwise. I still, like you, need to see more from Ritter. I'm hoping as he settles in more and he sees how much talent is around him that he realizes he doesn't have to do that much. And when he does give these playmakers a chance, good things happen. B. John Robinson, you touched on it. The guy's just, he's just different. <laughs> you know, and he's, he's literally half the reason I picked the Falcons to win the division because uh, he can have that much of an impact on a team as long as he's out there. So I, I love how the Falcons are using him. You mentioned that Algier didn't have a great game. But Algier keeps Robinson fresh. You know, Algier stops Robinson from having to touch the ball 25 to 30 times a game. So I like how they're distributing their backfield in this run-heavy offense. Uh, you see the moves. Uh, there was a move Bijan Robinson put on Darnell Savage when Savage looked like he was going to have a tackle in the hole for a loss. Next thing you know, Savage looks like he's sliding into second base on a steal attempt. Uh, Robinson made him look silly on that play. And that's just the kind of the player Robinson is. Every game, he's going to do something where you say, whoa. And so I just look forward to seeing him play every week. And like I said, uh, Jordan Love had his moments in this game. The Packers really went after Trey Flowers in this game. I mean, to the point where they basically took him off the field for a while because he was getting torched so bad at one point. I'll give the receivers credit for the Packers. Uh, all three of the Packer touchdowns in this game were scored by rookie receivers. So you mentioned how you know fans have been wanting the first round receiver and not getting it. Well, the guys that you're drafting after the first round, they're getting the job done. Jaden Reed with a couple of touchdowns, including that jet sweep touchdown that shouldn't count as a pass. And uh, Dontavion Wicks comes up with the other touchdown. So that's a good sign because these guys are going to be playing third and fourth receiver roles once Christian Watson gets back and settled in. So uh, you're encouraged by that. I'd still love to see a veteran presence with all these young, young, young receivers, but uh, it's probably not going to happen. Uh, the Packers did take a 24-12 lead in this game. I thought the game-changing play in this game was uh, the Falcons running a flea flicker. Mac Hollins gets wide open behind the defense. Desmond Ritter underthrows it, but he still gives this guy a chance. Mac Hollins comes back and goes up and gets that underthrown pass. That's what led to the Desmond Ritter touchdown. And Atlanta had a couple of key fourth-down conversions in the fourth quarter that really changed the game. Uh, that Desmond Ritter touchdown run that you mentioned, Patrick, that was on a fourth and four. So that was a risk, but it paid off. And then on the drive that eventually led to the game-winning field goal, Bijan Robinson, of course, able to convert a fourth down to keep that drive alive and milk some time off the clock. Uh, late in the game, unfortunately, the Packers were in position to try a quarterback sneak. And I've never seen it happen before where the quarterback goes to sneak and the offensive line doesn't move. <laughs> I'm not sure what happened there. But uh, that was one of the goofier-looking plays you'll ever see. It can happen when you have a quarterback that's this experienced. It can happen when you have 
missing pieces on the line. It's just, it can happen on the road when you're inexperienced and you're dealing with a loud, hostile environment. So a lot of factors there. Uh, but uh, that kind of took the sales out of Green Bay's kind of last-ditch opportunity there. Uh, Falcons able to pull away with the win here. But uh, both teams, again, working with young quarterbacks, trying to figure things out. Uh, this game was uneven on both sides as far as how the offense is played. You expect that with these inexperienced quarterbacks. But overall, I like what both teams look like. And I think with the Packers, they have to feel like once they start getting a little healthier on the offensive side of the ball, uh, they'll be evened out. So even though they lost this game, thought both teams could come away with something that they should be encouraged by. And now we move on to the absolute worst game of the week. A game that saw the Buffalo Bills bounce back from a disappointing loss last week and crush my Las Vegas Raiders 38 to 10. The good news for the Raiders, the opening drive, they look great. They get Devontae Adams involved early. Uh, they had to get him involved early because, of course, we were missing Jacoby Myers. Uh, after he was uh, knocked out by Kareem Jackson, who we'll talk about a little more later. Raiders take a 7-0 lead four minutes into the game. And then, unfortunately for the Raiders, the other 56 minutes of the game happened. Josh Jacobs has been MIA so far this year. How much of that is scheme? How much of that is blocking? How much of that is missing time away from the team and not having the, the timing down, not having the conditioning down. I don't know what it is, but Josh Jacobs, hey, congratulations to you, Patrick. You had more yards rushing than Josh Jacobs did on Sunday. Negative two yards out of Josh Jacobs in this game. For the first two games of the season, Jacobs is averaging 1.6 yards per carry. Uh, easy math will tell you that won't get you very far on offense. And to top it all off, Josh Jacobs was the player who was being targeted on the Matt Milano interception off of Jimmy Garoppolo. So just a horrendous game all around from Josh Jacobs. Again, how much of this can be fixed just by playing more as the season goes on? I don't know. How much of this is self-preservation because the man doesn't have a contract beyond this year? I don't know. I just know it doesn't look good on the ground. And for a team that relied on Jacobs as much as they did last year, they had the league in rushing. This is an ominous start to the season for Josh Jacobs. On the other side of the ball, you know, we talk about the Bills and not committing to their running backs. They committed to James Cook in this game. And James Cook III responded with his first career 100-yard rushing game, of course, against this defense. Now, we'll see if he can keep that up against teams that actually play defense. We'll see what that looks like when they play Washington, a team that has an actual defensive front next week. But at least for this game, the Bills committed to the run outside of Josh Allen, and it worked. Speaking of Josh Allen, he was under way more control in this game. You didn't see him be so reckless with the football. Now, he did have a silly play in this game where he tried to hurdle somebody near the goal line and almost got hurt, but the Raiders kind of put him down nicely. Uh, that needs to go, and we've talked about that before. Uh, but other than that one reckless play, Allen played smart football, made good decisions, didn't turn the ball over. And in Josh Allen's career, he is now 23-4 and four when he doesn't turn the ball over. That's a pretty darn good winning percentage. You'd like to see more than 27 starts out of 78 with no turnovers. But when he doesn't turn the football over, the Bills are almost unbeatable. And it's not a surprise that Josh Allen didn't turn the ball over against the Raiders. 
since two since 2019, the Raiders have been bottom three in the NFL in takeaways. And so far this year, zero takeaways. So this has been a very consistent defense in their inability to make plays. And that's going to make somebody like Josh Allen look even better than he is. The only piece of bad news for Buffalo in this game is that Micah Hyde left this game with the hamstring issue. Don't know how severe it is, but Micah Hyde plays the most important position in sports, playmaking safety. The Bills weren't the same last year when Micah Hyde went down. So you hope this is minor. But uh, other than that, uh, it was smooth sailing for the Bills in this game. And just a quick point, we've already talked about rookies. You know, we talked a little bit about Jordan Addison. We talked about the rookies for the Packers making plays. Rookies around the league. We'll talk about other rookies a lot later. Rookies around the league are already making plays two weeks into the season. The Raiders' top picks, Tyree Wilson, so far this season, three tackles, zero sacks. Yeah, thanks. Michael Meyer this season, who was supposed to be a steal in the draft. One catch for two yards so far this season. So while other teams, and again, it's early. I'm not calling these guys bust two games into their careers. But it's frustrating as a Raiders fan to see, look around the league and see rookies on just about every other team having some type of impact. And this team, which needs help badly, this team, which has top 10 picks almost every year because how bad they are, they can't get any type of production out of rookies early when it, oh, it seems like almost everybody else is. So uh, just a complete mess for Vegas in this game. Uh, this is why you picked Vegas to, to finish last in the division and to do nothing this year. This is what you're afraid of, even after they won a game last week. And I don't see it getting much better for the Raiders anytime soon, to be honest with you. Yeah, the, the Garoppolo honeymoon is over. Uh, what, what a terrible performance from him on a Sunday. Uh, normally, you expect him not to turn the ball over. And on the one, I mean, you can't really do anything on Matt Milano mossing Josh Jacobs. I mean, you just can't <laughs> can't do anything about that one. But um, two interceptions uh, from 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 Jimmy. They also had the fumble by Zamir White. So again, three turnovers. Um, they were just outplayed and outmatched this game. Uh, and that's going to happen with, you know, again, the Bills being one of the better teams in the AFC. And as we think, the Vegas being uh, one of the worst teams in the, not the, but one of the more not as good teams in the AFC. Um, they Again, besides it being 7-7, seven to seven, <laughs> this game was never really close. Uh, you cannot have Josh Jacobs run for negative yards. I know he only got nine carries, and the blo- and they started to get blown out. Uh, so I know they tried to pass more, but but still. Um, you can't. Yeah, negative two yards is not, not good. Um, So, Josh Allen is back, a.k.a. he didn't turn the ball over, as uh, Julius alluded to. Um, so, made good decisions. Uh, he didn't run a lot, which I ask for every single week with this team. Don't run Josh Allen that much. Um, he did his best Jalen Daniels uh, from LSU quarterback, and, and he wanted to get hit stick, but the Raiders were very nice and tried to hold him up. I would have popped him just so he learned a lesson, but... Um, you gotta avoid those hits. You cannot. You cannot jump and try to hurdle people as the franchise quarterback. I don't know why Josh Allen continually does this. It's it's infuriating. I'm not even a Bills fan, and it infuriates me. Um, but yeah, it just it just did not look good. And without Jacoby Myers in there, uh, the offense just didn't look as good. Again, the Bills are a better team than who Vegas played Week One, but. Um, 
yeah, I think they're going to need Jacoby Myers back ASAP. Uh, so then at least if Devontae is double, they have another reliable uh, pass catcher. I don't really know what happened to Hunter Renfro the last couple of years. I know he was, he got hurt, but uh, ever since then, I don't really know why I feel like he was making so many plays and now he's just kind of um, MIA. But again, we'll see what Buffalo has moving forward. Again, it's only week two. Uh, you know, the Bills are one and one, Raiders are one and one. So even though this was a blowout, again, it doesn't matter because there's only one game. So you got to kind of see how you keep moving forward. But I did like that Cook got over 100 yards rushing. I'm glad he got 17 carries. And again, Josh Allen got three. Um, so hopefully the Bills can stick with that. But I feel like if the Bills fall behind, that's when they start to press. And they really never had to press in this game. And that's when you can kind of, that's, that's kind of when Buffalo, you know, is not at their best whenever. I feel like they have to play from behind because I think that's when Josh Allen presses and that's when he starts to turn the ball over. So we'll see moving forward if they can continue uh, with no turnovers. Moving on to the Baltimore Ravens at Cincinnati. And you guys know this is my favorite time of the week. This is when I get to badmouth Joe Burrow and his overpaid, crappy quarterback behind. Um, through two games, he's making me look like a genius by fading Jamar Chase and him in, in fantasy this year. Um, I know I'm hard on Burrow, uh, and that's only because I feel like other people are hard on other quarterbacks that don't look like him. So if any other quarterback started the way he started this year, people would be calling for them to be fired. Uh, he never should have got paid. We should cut him, all these things. Uh, but because it's Joe Burrow... I feel like I haven't heard much talk about Joe Burrow. Um, T. Higgins didn't get donated this week, so that's good for T. Higgins. He had eight catches and two touchdowns. Um, you know, a lot of that was kind of in garbage time. I know the game it looks closer than what it really was. Um, but... Uh, yeah, I mean, Bengals are 0-2, and, and I had the Ravens winning this division, so this looks good for me because they're 2-0. and um, Bengals are 0-2 in the division, so that's never a great start to the season. Uh, their run game and pass game, the Bengals' offense has been pretty anemic to start the, the, the season. Uh, Mixon only had 59 yards rushing in this game. Again, Burrow had 222, but he had like 80 at halftime. So a lot of that came and, and when they had to pass and start doing that. Um, you know, he had a really bad interception in the red zone. Just a poor decision. Again, threw it 41 times just to get 222 yards. That's not, that's not good. Um, I think T. Higgins is invaluable to this team. I don't know why they won't pay him. I understand that. I know they want to pay Jamar Chase and everything, but... I think uh, if I was Cincinnati, I would pay T. Higgins. T. Higgins is a wide receiver one on any other team. Uh, he might be the wide receiver one on this team, depending on how the rest of the season plays out. But, um, again, you drafted Joe Burrow and T. Higgins in the same draft. So you drafted T. Higgins before you, know, you knew you could get Jamar Chase to be Burrow's number one option. Um, I don't think you can let that man walk Uh and just have Jamar Chase and Tyler Boyd. I just don't think your offense is going to be as good as you think it is. Um, again, it, the, the offense just has not been clicking. I don't know if it's Burrow's calf injury that's that's lingering, that he can't do what he wants to do. 
Um, but I talked about it last year where I feel like he sits back in the pocket and pats the ball and doesn't really go through his progressions and he kind of stares down Jamar Chase a lot. Um, it's kind of coming back to bite him this year. Uh, and I know they made it to a Super Bowl, and I know they made it to the AFC Championship game, uh, but that puts a lot of pressure on you. And and we've seen coaches, Julius, get fired for a lot less. So Zach Taylor better turn this thing around in a hurry or his days could be numbered in Cincy. And I'm not saying... If they make the playoffs and lose round one, he'll be fired. I'm talking about if they go four and thirteen or five and twelve or something this year, which I don't think is going to happen. But again, starting off zero and two is not a great way to start a season, especially with two division losses. Uh, if they can't turn it around quickly, there's going to be a lot of pressure uh, on the Bengals to do something because obviously there's a lot of expectations for this team. Uh, again, Baltimore, like most years, starting off really hot, Julius. Uh, just as long as Lamar is healthy, this team normally wins the division, but he has to be healthy. Um, so it's only two weeks. I'm not going to get ahead of myself because uh, he's gotten hurt near the end of the last two years. Hopefully that doesn't happen again because football is just so much better when Lamar Jackson plays. Um, I don't know why they keep giving more carries to Justice Hill. I mean, it was a lot more spread out this time. He had 11. Gus Edwards had 10. But uh, Gus Edwards just looks like the better running back um, for this team. So, you know, I would make him my running back. I'd still do a timeshare, but I would try to get him more carries than Justice Hill. Um, Zay Flowers continues to show why he was high on a lot of people's boards coming into the draft. Uh, Again, shout out to Julius. He he said he would be his (laughs) first receiver taken in this class. Uh, Odell got hurt this game. Hopefully he can come back and it's not too serious. Again, it was with his legs, ankle type of injury and um as we've seen with michael thomas i know that was only his foot but like it's hard when these guys have so many leg ankle foot injuries to just kind of be healthy so hopefully he comes back and last thing i'm going to wrap up this up when justin tucker misses a field goal it feels like the apocalypse is happening like you just don't expect this man and i know it was 50 plus but, I mean, I watched it, and I was shocked that he missed that field goal, Julius. Uh, you just feel yeah. like when he walks out into the field, it's automatic. You know what I mean? But, uh, again, Baltimore starting off hot. Since he started off slow, this happened last year. Since he turned it around, Baltimore fell off once Lamar got hurt. Again, it's only week two. Let's not overreact to everything. But 0-2 to start the season and in the division is not a good start. Uh, yeah, well, starting with your Justin Tucker point, I mean, we saw this man <laughs> win a game by kicking a field goal from the other side of midfield <laughs> for the win against the Lions. So, yeah, it is shocking. Even if it is a 58-59 yard field goal, it's just shocking whenever Justin Tucker misses. But that just speaks to how great of a kicker he is. Uh, other positions, you can argue who the best in the league is. Nobody argues when you say Justin Tucker is the best kicker. That speaks for itself. Uh, getting into this game, uh, Baltimore was able to establish the run early, uh, primarily with Gus Edwards. Uh, from what I've observed, I agree with your point, Patrick, that Edwards has been the more effective runner between Edwards and Justice Hill. The Ravens seem to feel like they're less predictable when Justice Hill is in the backfield. Edwards is not a threat in the passing game at all. And so I think the Ravens look at it and say, okay, if we put Edwards back there, you almost know we're going to run it. Whereas with Justice Hill, might be a run, might be a pass, because Hill can catch the ball out of the backfield. So that's the explanation I have for you. But other than that, uh, yeah, I agree that Edwards probably should be the one to get more carries in this offense moving forward. 
Joe Burrow has really, really struggled in the first halves of games in particular. Through two games, Joe Burrow has 71. Let me repeat that. 71 total passing yards in the first half. Not, not averaging 71 per first half. 71 total. In two first halves, Joe Burrow has 71 passing yards. Kenny Pickett had 71 passing yards on his touchdown to George Pickens on Monday night. It's been, you, you just can't start this poorly and expect to dig out of holes against quality teams. Joe Burrow is also 0 for 12 so far this year on passes that traveled in the air deeper than 15 yards. To Patrick's point, if Lamar Jackson was 0 for 12 on passes farther than 15 yards, we'd hear nothing but he should be a running back. And he doesn't have the IQ to throw a deep pass. That said, Joe Burrow, his biggest strength is accuracy and accuracy on the deep ball. So that stat right there lets me know that something's really wrong with him. And if you watch this game, Joe Burrow completed a couple of touchdowns to T. Higgins. After the second touchdown, Burrow limped off the field and immediately went to the bench and started massaging his calf. There's a real chance that Joe Burrow doesn't play in the next game on Monday night, a game they need to win. And watching Burrow play, watching Burrow not be able to move, watching Burrow not be able to plant when he's getting ready to throw, tells me Joe Burrow should not have been out there to start this season. And Jamar Chase said in an interview before the season started, we don't care if we have to wait until week five. We just need Burrow right at some point. Burrow's not right. And that's the only reason I'm not being harder on him because it's painfully obvious that Burrow's hurting. Uh, Patrick, you talked about Burrow's tendency to stare down Chase at times or force feed him. That's what happened with T. Higgins in this game. I don't know what caused the switch, but this game it was T. Higgins who Burrow was locked in on. So, yes, Higgins got the two touchdowns, but Higgins was also the target on the goal line interception by Geno Stone. Because at some point you're just throwing to T. Higgins too much in those situations. When we talk about all the weapons you have on offense, there's no need to lock in on one guy like that. And by the way, I'm blowing the whistle on Geno Stone. Is he, first of all, a great play to make the interception at the goal line? Again, playmaking safety, most important position in football. And he's filling in for Marcus Williams, one of the most important players in football. So it's good to see Geno Stone make that play. But I got to blow the whistle because Geno Stone should have had a 100-yard touchdown. There was nobody in front of him but a hobbled Joe Burrow who was already thrown to the ground. Why Geno Stone, while surrounded by four or five Ravens and no Bengals, decided to run out of the bounds is beyond me. Fortunately, the Ravens were able to take that possession and, and get points out of it, but there's no reason Geno Stone shouldn't have scored on that play. It's one of the silliest things I've seen. Charlie Jones, somebody I liked a lot when we talked about guys we like in the draft. He got a punt return touchdown. I, I mentioned during the, during the draft that he's a white wide receiver, so everybody immediately thinks that all he runs is three-yard out routes. He's, he's a, you know, a, a stealthy kind of deceptively fast kind of shifty kind of crafty kind of guy just because he's a wide, wide receiver no he can outrun special teams units and so uh he's breaking the mold there he got a punt return touchdown i don't like that the that the referees initially called a block in the back but then 
picked up the flag for some reason on that punt return. But uh, nonetheless, Charlie Jones got that touchdown. It's the only first half touchdown of the season so far for the Bengals. So again, those slow starts are killing Cincinnati. And like you said, Patrick, for them to fall to 0-2 in the division to start the season, it, it that combined with the fact that Burrow looks hurt to me and it doesn't look like something that's going to heal without rest, it is time to sound the alarm for concern uh, in Cincinnati. Uh, Jamar Chase did get one chance in the red zone or in the end zone. Uh, it was a 50-50 ball that Chase would normally win. He did not win it against Rakyasin. Credit to him, former Raider, actually doing something good on the defensive end. I got to give him his credit, but uh, just nothing but discouraging signs from the Bengals. Uh, as for the Ravens, you like what you see out of Lamar Jackson out of this game? There was all kinds of talk. Oh, we're concerned about Lamar Jackson. Oh, the offense looks the same as last year. No, the offense didn't look the same. Uh, not today. Uh, first of all, you get Mark Andrews back. That's a big deal. Mark Andrews, of course, catches a goal line touchdown in this game because that's Lamar Jackson's security blanket. Of course, the offense is going to look better when he's out there. And if you saw the throw to Nelson Aguilar, just a perfect throw. Again, the throws that don't get talked about with Lamar Jackson. People always want to focus on all the misses he has. But they don't want to focus when he hits those dimes. And now that there's upgraded weapons, even with Odell Beckham dealing with an ankle injury, these weapons are still better than what he had last year. I mean, the Ravens last year, Demarcus Robinson was operating as their wide receiver one. And if I asked you right now what team Demarcus Robinson is on, you probably couldn't answer. So improved weapons, all of a sudden, quarterback has more confidence. Uh, the offensive coordinator has more confidence in the quarterback. You're not seeing design runs. You're seeing Lamar Jackson get to play the quarterback position, and you're seeing the results pay off. So loving everything I'm seeing from Baltimore so far, especially because of the, how they're performing with a shorthanded defense, it has not come back to bite them yet that they have injuries in the secondary, that they don't have that guy as a pass rusher necessarily. But they're finding a way to win games. You like it so far. They're going to be hosting the Colts next week. So you feel like that's another game you probably should win. So if you're a Ravens fan, there's a lot to be encouraged by one with how your team looks and two, because of how the rest of the division, which is supposed to be a really good division, the rest of the division doesn't look good so far. So if you're the Ravens, you're sitting pretty. Let's get into the Seattle Seahawks, a team that avoided the 0-2 start with an overtime win over the Detroit Lions, 37-31. This was a game that I feel like I, I picked Detroit to win this game. And watching the game, I felt like Detroit should have won the game. But this is that other side with Dan Campbell. So you go back to the first game of the season and you remember that early fake punt inside your own 20 on a fourth down that was a big risk it paid off that's what dan campbell does takes these big risks sometimes they work like they did against kansas city sometimes they get you burned like they did in this game detroit had an opportunity in the second quarter to kick a field goal they go for a fourth and four they fail to convert it was jared goff's first incompletion of the game he had nine completions to start the game before that pass but it was devin witherspoon the rookie who we're both high on, making his NFL debut. He missed last week. So Devin Witherspoon immediately making his presence felt with a pass defense on a fourth down to take a scoring opportunity away from Detroit. And when the game goes to overtime, you look back at every point you missed 
and feel like, boy, if we just got that, maybe this game is different. Uh, you look at Seattle, you're encouraged because going back to last year, Seattle didn't have a lockdown defense. This wasn't a defense that was going to shut you down or severely limit your yardage. This was a big play kind of defense. This is a defense that relied on turnovers. You didn't get those big plays against the Rams last week, and that's why the Rams were able to have a ton of success on offense. In this game, not in the first half, but in the second half, you started to see this defense make plays like they did last year. Lieutenant uh, Nooso, first play of the second half, uh, gets a strip on David Montgomery. That creates a turnover. That leads to a Kenneth Walker touchdown the other way. Big swing there. Then when Seattle has a three-point lead, it's Trey Brown who comes up with a pick six. The first interception Jared Goff has thrown in basically half a season. And now you extend that three-point lead to 10. So the Seahawks' defense starting to be that ball hawk defense making plays, that changes the whole dynamic of this team. I will give Detroit some credit. They kept showing resilience in this game, resilience that they might not have shown a couple of years ago before Campbell got there. Uh, there was a drive where David Montgomery had an 18-yard touchdown catch. Uh, that got called back by a penalty. The old Lions would have probably folded there and had to kick a field goal to turn the ball over. Uh, but the Lions were able to recover from that and still score a touchdown on that drive. But here's where Dan Campbell strikes again. Fourth and two at your own 45. You're up. You're up 21-17. And you go for fourth and two, and you miss it. And by the way, that led to points for Seattle, and Detroit never led again after that. I thought Detroit did well, again, showing some resilience. They bounced back to force overtime. They could have folded after Jared Goff threw that pick six. They did not, so I give them credit. Uh, but... They couldn't get the stop when they needed to, and they couldn't take advantage of a shorthanded offensive line. Part of the reason I picked Detroit is because Seattle came into this game missing both starting tackles, Abraham Lucas, uh, who got placed on IR, and Charles Cross, who's a, a big-time young left tackle for them. So I'll give credit to Stone Forsyth and Jake Curran, guys I'm not even all that familiar with, but they stepped in and had themselves a game. You didn't hear much from Aiden Hutchinson or really anybody on this Detroit Lions front. And that speaks a lot to the job the backups did on Seattle's offensive line. Uh, Detroit started having to deal with attrition in this game. Uh, David Montgomery got hurt in this game. Amon Ross St. Brown was cramping and had to miss time in this game. Uh, credit to guys like Josh Reynolds and the rookie Sam LaPorta. They stepped up and played big roles in the comeback effort. Uh, defensively, you lose Chauncey Gardner-Johnson. That's a major, 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 I cannot stress it enough, major loss for the Lions. He's a big reason why I picked Detroit to win the division uh, because of his importance at the most important position. Losing him is brutal. Uh, the Lions also lose James Houston IV. Uh, he's their secondary pass rusher behind Hutchinson, and so that's, that's not good. So a lot of bad for Detroit in this game, but... Let me give credit to Seattle. Geno Smith with a big bounce back game here. Got to give him a lot of credit. He's We've talked about him for a while, how he's looked like the old Geno Smith for several starts now. He looked like the Geno Smith uh, that was the comeback player of the year for at least half a season with Seattle. Last year, he started to regain some of that form. He had a couple of really nice throws in this game. And of course, in overtime, he delivers the strike to Tyler Lockett to win the game. Aiden Hutchinson was definitely held on that play. 
But again, sometimes you make your own breaks, and Seattle with good execution, uh, timely plays on offense. It wasn't always pretty for Seattle, but you'll take the win. This is a win the Seahawks really needed, and I think that this can really jumpstart their, se- their season, especially uh, with a young, undermanned Panther team coming to Seattle next week. Yeah, big, big win for Seattle. Uh, You didn't want to go down 0-2, especially with the Rams looking a lot better this year and then obviously having the 49ers in your division. Um, Did not want to go down 0-2. Big big away win for for the Seahawks, too. They they have a lot of issues uh, with away games. Um, Yeah, Geno should have had a pick in this game. Uh, Probably should have been a pick six, uh, but Joseph dropped it. Um, but other than that throw, um, you know, Gino looked really, really good. Um, and again, this game last year was fireworks. If y'all don't remember it, 48 to 45. Uh, and again, Mm -hmm. Seattle comes away with another win against Detroit. Um, again, probably should have had a hundred yard pick six and Joseph dropped it. Um, Tyler Lockett just does nothing but produce for this team. People don't talk about him as a top 25 receiver in this league, and and he's just been consistently good for many years. Um, Woolen getting hurt concerns me. Obviously, we're high on Tariq Woolen. I'm not going to start calling him Reek because he changed his name, but that's fine. Nope. Um, but Tariq Woolen gets hurt. Um, the defense was already kind of shorthanded, so that scares me. Uh, obviously, Witherspoon coming back, you know, they kind of like took each other's places, but still – um, and again, Gino needed to be big in this game because besides the two touchdowns for Kenneth Walker, their running game was bottled up all day by Detroit's defense. So, um, Gino comes up huge. Uh, I'm glad that Jackson Smith and Jigba got some, some looks, uh, in this game. Uh, DK got hurt with ribs, but came back. So that was good. Um, took a big hit on, on, on the goal line. Where I thought it was a touchdown, but then obviously when they showed the replay, the ball wasn't over the the goal line yet. Um, yeah. So again, you know the turnover battle. Whenever you turn it over, again, Detroit had three turnovers. Uh, this game, if you look at the stats, Julie, if you just look at the box score for team stats, this was a very, very identical. The two teams almost have almost identical stats besides the three turnovers and that's ended and that ended up what being what cost the lions um you already talked about dan campbell uh, i mean i'm a fan of how he's added grit and passion to the lions but i'm also not a fan and i've said this last year he's costing them more games with his uh riverboat ron rivera coaching style versus uh knowing when to let things go so like you said he probably should have punted on that on that one fourth and two and then uh not kicking the field goal and going for it and there's just you know i'm not a big fan of going for it so early in the game i'm not saying you have to wait to like you have to go for it but we talked about this with staley last year when he was playing the 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 chiefs there's no point for you to go for the end zone when it's about to be halftime just kick the field goal get the three points and go to halftime it makes no sense for you to have zero points coming off the field that just doesn't make sense so um I know you're going to hate this, but I'm going to say it anyway just because I know you're going to hate it. After escaping Kansas City with the W, Detroit is back to being the same old Lions. <laughs> uh, no, no. David Montgomery getting hurt to me, uh, and this is a theme this week for some reason. Lots of running backs got hurt. Uh, most everyone who watched this week knows what I'm referring to, 
But I mean, there was a lot of running backs who got hurt this this week. Um, you know, hopefully he can he can get back in time, David Montgomery, uh, because I don't think uh, Jameer Gibbs is ready to take over that role of every down back. Um, and the Lions don't think that either, because even after David Montgomery got hurt, they weren't running him that much. Um, so hopefully Montgomery can come back, because I think that one-two punch of Gibbs Montgomery makes Detroit better. Um, so yeah, just uh, a, a bad loss. Not a bad loss, but you know, just just a bad way to lose. Whenever you kind of had control of this game, and then you know you have the pick six, uh, you have you know not getting the field goal, getting stopped in your own you know on fourth and two. It just it's just not a good good look. But again, Laporta Julius kind of called this uh, in our draft podcast. He said that he didn't have the opportunities at Iowa. Watch out for him, and he's been he's been good, man. He's been he's been good uh, on on the uh, line so far. So again, C.J. Gardner Johnson getting hurt is a huge deal. Uh, that could really come back to to hurt the Lions uh, in a what well, was a weak secondary last year. We thought this would shore it up a little bit more. So we'll see who they put back there or what they do. But um, just a big win for Seattle and a in a great way for. Uh, Gino to come back after that week one just dud uh, for him to come out and just look a whole lot better uh, in week two. Moving on to my favorite time of the week. Everyone should know this by now, uh, listening to us. My time to bash Brandon Staley. So yes, that means we're going to the Chargers versus the Tennessee Titans. And um, I got to ask the question, Julius, is it time to fire Brandon Staley yet? Yes. The answer yeah. is yes. Um, I'm going to read a fun little stat for you, Julius. Uh, the Chargers have scored 58 points in two weeks. That's a, that's pretty impressive. Uh, and they have zero turnovers. Yet they're zero and two. In the Super Bowl era, 32 other teams have scored 50-plus points and committed no turnovers in their first two games. The 2023 Chargers are the only team to lose both games. So that is a fun stat for everyone listening to to hold on to and to marinate with. And, and you know, so are we going to blame Herbert? Again, Herbert hasn't had good drives when they needed it. They could have won that game with a touchdown drive. They, they settled for a field goal to go to overtime. They went three and out, you know, for mm-hmm. first series of overtime. Um same thing with the Miami game. They could have went down and, and got a touchdown to win the game, and they didn't. Um, so, and this is why, and it's, I, I, I just want to make this clear. I don't hold any animosity or grudges towards individuals, right? I don't really have anything against Brandon Staley. Um, it's more what Chargers fans and what the Chargers GM said about Anthony Lynn to get him off as their head coach to bring in Brandon Staley, and you hear nothing of the same extent of to Brandon Staley. So Anthony Lynn was an, was an offensive coordinator. So for those of you who don't know, before he became a head coach, he, he was an offensive coordinator. While he was the head coach, the Chargers were in the top 10 of offense for the four years he was a head coach. They made it to the playoffs once. They went 12-4 and four that year, and they went 1-1 one one in the playoffs, and that was with an old Phillip Rivers. Um... His last, you know, year as the head coach for the Chargers, they went seven and nine, and that was with a rookie Herbert. That was after, if y'all don't remember, Tyler Taylor getting his lungs punctured by the team uh, medic. So that's a fun season. Um, so they had a rookie Herbert, and when they fired him, they said, "We need the defense to be better. It wasn't good enough. 
blah, uh, blah, 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 right? So they bring in Brandon Staley, and for those of you who don't know, he was the defensive coordinator for the Rams uh, when they won the Super Bowl. And, um, you know, he's supposed to be a defensive guru because uh, he's a defensive coordinator. Their defense has never been ranked higher than 20th during his tenure. So, Anthony Lynn, offensive coordinator, top 10 offense while he was head coach. Brandon Staley, defensive coordinator, defense has not been higher than 20th in his tenure. Uh, so, but keep drafting receivers. But I just don't... But Anthony Lynn as head coach, their defense was in the top 10 whenever he was there. Um, so I just don't... I don't understand how people can back... And then Staley just makes bad decisions. You, we, we've just seen him make bad decisions. They could have made the playoffs the one year, and then they let the Raiders go down when they were willing to take a tie to win in overtime. There's just so many bad mistakes he's made as a head coach. Um, and then to give up that terrible playoff loss where your defense, again, you're a defensive coordinator as your background, how do you give up with letting Lawrence throw four picks and you guys didn't put that game away? So, again, they're 0-2. The team hasn't looked terrible. They put up 58 points. Uh, they lost to the Tennessee Titans, who I thought, pfft, I wrote them off. I thought they were going to be one of the worst teams this year, and they still may be, but they beat the Chargers. Um, again, I uh, not high on Staley. I know it's only his third year as the head coach. I, I know I've been writing him off quickly, but it's because of how they treat other coaches in positions and how the fans and everyone react. And you see this in almost every sport where a certain coach or a certain player gets drafted and the team gets built around that coach just for them to fire him and then another coach takes his credit. So I'm kind of happy the Chargers are struggling during Staley's tenure and he's not getting a bunch of credit for not really doing anything. Um, You could tell this team missed Austin Eckler and Julius. The the run game just was not... we, We talk about that. We've talked about this for two years now. The Chargers go as Austin Eckler goes, and people think that's crazy. They think they, they, they're all about Justin Herbert, but this run game was atrocious without him there, and they ended up losing the game, and they weren't finishing drives. You know who normally finishes the drives for the Chargers? Austin Eckler. You know why they weren't finishing drives in the playoff game last year? Because they weren't giving it to Austin Eckler. They were trying to get Herbert like six passing touchdowns. Um, Again, didn't do anything in the overtime drive. They couldn't. They settled for a field goal to go to overtime, which made me mad. I feel like the the clock was terribly managed on that last drive, and they settled for the field goal instead of trying to get a touchdown. And then, worst of all, they made Ryan Tannehill look good. <laughs> I just bury this man after week one for how terrible he looked against a a, a bad team. And then they made this man go twenty for twenty four with a touchdown. Terrible. Awful. But this is why you don't pick up against too many teams when they play at home, because somehow they beat the Chargers at home. Um, he was pressured. Tannehill was pressured a bunch in this game and still looked decent, Julia. So I will give tap tip my hat to uh, Ryan Tannehill for one week. He he actually played very well in this game. Uh, Traylon Burks had a really, really big catch. I thought it was going to go for six, and he got, he got caught on like the five-yard line. Um... I'm really impressed with DeAndre Hopkins. He's not the same DeAndre Hopkins as he once was, but he made some big clutch catches in this game. Uh, when they needed a first down, that's exactly who Tannehill looked for. Um, but I will let Julius talk about this game the rest of the way out. Uh, for all those people who thought Keenan Allen was done, by the way, eight catches, 111 yards, two touchdowns. He ain't done. For everyone who thought, 
we're going to draft Quentin Johnson. We're going to get rid of Keenan Allen. Don't do that. Keenan Allen still is your best receiver. Um, but I gave my rant about Staley. So, uh, Julius, I will let you take over and talk about the rest of this game. What an outstanding coaching job from Brandon Staley in this one. No, no, we're, we're probably not going to say that seriously at any point this year. Uh, yeah, you mentioned Austin Eckler being out. It's undeniable that that's going to have an impact on the offense. Uh, last week, I was proud of the Chargers, actually, with how they ran their offense. They had over 200 yards rushing between Austin Eckler and Joshua Kelly uh, this year, uh, this week, without the without Eckler, of course. Uh, they were held to under 50 rushing yards when you look at the running back rushing yards. Now, a lot of that is Austin Eckler, but I also want to make sure to give the Tennessee Titans credit. If there's one thing they've been able to do over the last few years, it's stop the run. And that's led by Jeffrey Simmons in the middle of that defense. He's a defensive tackle that doesn't get mentioned enough. He might not be in the Aaron Donald, Chris Jones class, but he's a smidge behind that. Uh, Simmons has a sack in each of the first two games. And again, he's stellar against the run as well. So uh, that's a big reason why the Chargers run game didn't look anywhere near as impressive as it did just a week ago. On the Tennessee side, you had Peter Skaronsky, a, a rookie I was high on on the offensive line. He missed his game due to injury. And the absence was felt on a fourth down play uh, where Kenneth Murray Jr. was able to come from his off-the-line linebacker spot and get a sack untouched on Ryan Tannehill. But again, this begs the question. And I just don't, there's a lot of this going around in the league, and I guess it's analytics. But, I mean, the, the first possession of the game, we're going for fourth and four from midfield. Well, why are we doing that, Titans? You're going for fourth and four. You're going away from your strength, which is running the ball. And you end up getting sacked, and you basically hand the Chargers a field goal to start the game. I just – I don't understand why teams are doing this. And then on the other side, the Chargers went for fourth down not once, not twice, three times in the first half. So I, and Now, granted, the Chargers converted each time, and one of those was one of the Keenan Allen touchdowns on a fourth and four. But uh, these analytics, I, I guess, are telling these coaches to go for fourth down all the time. So basically, I mean, we see it on Madden all the time. But I guess in real life now, teams are deciding that punting is not the thing to do, which is ironic because if you had to ask me who the player of the game was, who the MVP of this game was, I thought it was Ryan Stonehouse, the punter for the Titans. He averaged over 61 yards a punt. And if you watch the game, one, a lot of these punts were coming from his own goal line. So these weren't, you know, the 60-yard punts that just go into the end zone and are useless. These are punts that flip the field. These are punts that bailed out a Titans offense that kept getting stopped deep in their own territory. And these weren't punts that were, you know, traveling 40 yards and then getting lucky bounces 20 yards down the field. No, these punts were traveling 60-plus yards in the air. So Ryan Stonehouse really helped to bail the team out on more than one occasion in this game. Uh, Patrick, you mentioned the Traylon Burks catch. That happened as the Titans were trailing 11 to nothing. So that was much needed to stop the bleeding. It led to a touchdown for Derrick Henry. And I thought that was a big, big moment in the game to help get the Titans back into it. Uh, back to the Chargers and their offense. The way this game ended, their overtime possession, like you said, it was a three and out. Three straight passes. Didn't even try to run the ball out of those three passes one was a force into a double team that could have easily been intercepted it was knocked up in the air but not intercepted and two throwaways 
So you didn't gain a yard <laughs> in overtime. By the way, and again, they got the ball first. The Chargers got the ball first in overtime. You know who else got the ball first in overtime this weekend? The Seahawks. You know what Geno Smith did? Take that first possession, get a touchdown, and make sure that his defense didn't have to take the field in overtime. But Justin Herbert, no, all he did is get his 300 yards and check out. And again, is it all Herbert's fault? No. But again, we know how it would be if Justin Herbert didn't look like Justin Herbert. So it just has to be acknowledged that the Chargers got the ball first in overtime and did absolutely nothing. And like you said, Patrick, made Ryan Tannehill look like a hero. Uh, the other big stat, as far as I'm concerned from this game, the Chargers were two for 14 on third downs. Again, the inability to sustain drives, partially because you can't really run the ball reliably. Again, some of that with the absence of Eckler, some of that the Titans defense is that good against the run. But uh, you got to be better. You got to find a way to be better than two for 14 on third downs if you're going to be serious about contending. So uh, there's a couple of issues for the Chargers. Again, they play the Vikings next week. And like I said, that, that's a mirror match, if you remember that from Mortal Kombat. And you have two teams that, you know, as long as their quarterback gets 300 yards passing, they're happy. One of those teams that's happy with passing yards over wins is going to be 0-3 when we're on this podcast next week. It's tough to say which one it will be. I'll lean slightly towards the Chargers winning that game. But somebody's going to be 0-3 with their quarterback having about 1,000 yards on the season. <laughs> So congratulations to whoever that happens to. But if, again, if you want to win games, you got to do better than this in key moments on third downs and certainly in overtime. Good win for the Titans. They bounce back. Uh, they get Cleveland next week. That should be an interesting matchup. Uh, but yeah, the Titans just found a way in a game that looked like early they were going to lose or that they blew with some poor play calling. Uh, the Titans able to bounce back and pick up a good win for them. Moving on to the Indianapolis Colts. They come away with a 31-20 win over the Houston Texans. And this is another game where you could look at the injury report and get a feel for how the game was going to go. Uh, the Texans came into this game missing not one, not two, not three, four offensive linemen, four starting offensive linemen, not Guys who backed up guys that were hurt. Four of your starters are missing. Larry Tunsil, left tackle, out with the knee issue. Titus Howard, your right tackle, out with a broken hand. You kind of need your hands to play offensive line. Frederick Scruggs, your starting center, rookie. He's out, hamstring. Kenyon Green, your starting guard, shoulder issue, out. And by the way, the last three guys I named are all on injured reserve. So none of them are coming back soon, except maybe Tunsil, hopefully Tunsil. So when you watch this game, it's not shocking that a bunch of backup caliber guys that you can't name give up six sacks, especially in a game where, because, because you fell behind early, C.J. Stroud has to throw the ball well over 40 times. So uh, just a rough situation there. You're making your second career start. You've got nobody blocking for you, and your team falls behind that early. So now you got to drop back to pass time and time again. You have no run game. You have no offensive line. It's tough for C.J. Stroud, so I have to give him a lot of credit because despite that, he looked pretty good in this game, and that's saying a lot considering how much of a deficit he was in with what was around him. And that's just offensive injuries. Now you add to the fact that Tavier Thomas, a corner for this team, 
Uh, he broke his head in this game. He played through it, but he's expected to miss time moving forward. You're also missing Jalen Petrie playing the most important position, playmaking football, uh, playmaking safety, most important position in football. And you're also missing Jimmy Ward out of your secondary as well. So just injuries all over the place for the Texans. Even at full strength, you know, you worry about the Texans. I thought this defense would take a step forward, but they're going to need bodies in the secondary in order to make that happen. And right now they don't have bodies available. With all that said, first play of the game, Michael Pittman Jr. fumbles. And somehow, some way, the fumble makes it out of bounds. So the Colts catch a break there. They end up scoring on that possession with an Anthony Richardson touchdown run. The Texans also fumble on their first possession. C.J. Stroud is stripped on a sack and fumbles. They don't get so lucky with their fumble. The Colts recover, and it's another Anthony Richardson touchdown run. The Texans defense, again, a defense I expected to take a step forward, Gave up 28 points in the first half. And apparently nobody told the Texans, and this is not, you know, because you don't have your start in secondary. Nobody told the Texans that Anthony Richardson could run. It seemed like every time he ran, they were surprised. Every time they ran, every time Richardson ran, they were late to react, and Richardson was able to make big plays. Unfortunately, on the second touchdown run, Richardson suffers a concussion. He actually stayed in the game for a little while longer, but he recognized the symptoms and took himself out of the game. This is a concern for me. This is two games now where Anthony Richardson has scored rushing touchdowns, so Richardson already has three career rushing touchdowns. But this is the second game where Richardson has ran the ball around the goal line, gotten nailed, and had to leave the game. His playing style is exciting. His playing style has people saying he's the offensive rookie of the year. His playing style is making fantasy football owners happy but his playing style is not sustainable. He's a big guy, but he's a big guy who runs very upright and is open to massive hits when he crosses the line of scrimmage. And again, in two games, we've seen it happen where he's been knocked out of a game. And at some point, they're going to have to reel some of that in because you just you can't have this going with your franchise quarterback. Again, this is a team that has not had a franchise quarterback in years, so they, they've brought in a lot of washed-up guys uh, to be stop gaps, you think you have your quarterback of the future, and you got to work with him to get him to protect himself. After Richardson came out the game, it's like all of a sudden the, the Colts realized they have a starting running back now. They didn't have Zach Moss last week. They have him this week. If you go back to the end of last season, Zach Moss ran the ball very well. You don't need Anthony Richardson to be your leading rusher every week, not when you have Zach Moss in the backfield. I understand it when you have Deion Jackson and his uh, struggling self in the backfield. But with Zach Moss, you can afford to hand the ball off every now and then. So hopefully moving forward, we see some of that uh, for as long as Moss is available. But uh, the, again, a 28-point first half for the Colts. Uh, their offense sputtered out in the second half. Again, it's two totally different offenses when Anthony Richardson is in there versus when Gardner Minshew the second is in there. So it's a tough transition to have to do each of the first two games. Hopefully Richardson can finish a game in the near future, but again, health comes first, especially with concussions. But uh, Texans, they tried to fight back a little bit at the end. Uh, again, had to throw the ball a lot. Nico Collins looks really good. He looks really good so far. Uh, he's making plays all over the field. He's become a very reliable target. Uh, good hands, explosive after the catch. 
Uh, this looks like a true breakout season for Nico Collins. I like what I'm seeing from him. And you had a little bit of a breakout game from Nathaniel Dell as well. So a, a rookie that I did say that I like. It's going to be interesting to see if he can get on the field. Uh, spot opened up with Noah Brown being injured last week. But uh, Nathaniel Dell, somebody to keep an eye on as well. So you've got young playmakers in this offense, at least in the passing game. The Texans need to find a run game and a defense, uh, or at least some bodies in the secondary, something. But uh, just a struggle all around with the shorthanded Texans. They lose at home. They fall to 0-2. They have to travel to Jacksonville. So 0-3 is looking very likely for this team. Uh, you hate to see it for D'Amico Ryans, but uh, just too much to overcome uh, with their injury situation. Again, the Colts, good win. Good for Anthony Richardson to get his first career win. win. But now you got to start protecting him because now you're going to play the Ravens next week. And if Richardson's available for the game, they're going to be looking to do the same thing the last two teams did. So, again, it's fun to watch Richardson play that way. I just hope somehow, some way, they can reel enough of that in where we can see what Richardson looks like fully healthy for a full season. The biggest news out of this game is Kylan Granson doing a baby photo shoot with his first career touchdown football um, I don't know what's going on there. If y'all haven't noticed that, check out social media. It's all over the place. Um, yeah, I, that's all I got. No, I'm joking. So, but uh, moving on to the game, uh, the Colts win. As you talked about, they they didn't even need to play the second half, which they pretty much didn't. Um, so uh, I mean, CJ Stroud, 384 yards. He had the most passing yards in the NFL this week. So, I mean, that's pretty cool for him. I don't, I mean, that stat's pretty worthless in real life. But, you know, people like stats these days, so let's just throw some out there. Um, they couldn't really rush. I mean, they still ran it 26 times, but Damian Pierce just has not gotten going. Uh, as you said, though, with four offensive line starters not playing, what did you expect? Uh, Zach Moss looked looked good in this game, which is good for Indianapolis because their rushing game looked terrible week one, especially with Jackson fumbling twice and before he got benched. Um, yeah, Minshew came in, and I know he went 19 for 23, uh, but it's just a different type of offense. Um, and, again, they're winning by so much, I feel like they kind of just took took their foot off the gas. Um, Alec Pierce still – I always – I'm waiting for him to, like, break out. I mean, he only had two targets, and he caught both of them. But they drafted him high last year, and I feel like he's just not really – being integrated into the offense. Um, Nico Collins, you know, a lot of people had him as a breakout star after the way he finished last year, and he has not disappointed. I don't know if it's the addition of Robert Woods and and um, and Tank Dell, but uh, he, uh, yeah, he, he has not disappointed through the first two games of the season. Um, and then shout out to John Mechie. I know it was only one catch and it was in garbage time, but just to get back on the field, after having cancer and going through all that. I mean, that's just huge. And, and shout out to, to Mechie the third. Um, you know, it's just great to see him on a football field again. Um, but yeah, Julius pretty much touched on all the points. Uh, the Colts just pretty much dominated this game from the start to finish. Again, every time Anthony Richardson had the ball in his hands to run, <laughs> the Texans were like, what? Like, what is happening? Uh, oh, God, he got a touchdown on us. Um, but yeah, so again... Houston's already a bad team. They're shorthanded. You're not going to do much against, you know, I'm not saying any offense is a good team, but being a bad team and being shorthanded uh, on the offensive line and in the secondary is not a great um, 
recipe for success in the NFL. So, uh, unfortunately, no. uh, the start to D'Amico Ryan's uh, coaching career has not gotten off to a great start. But, um, you know, here here we are. And uh, hopefully he can get a win sooner rather than later. But going to Jacksonville next week is going to be a tough ask um, from, from this team. So, uh, hopefully he can get his first W. Speaking of Jacksonville, they played Kansas City this week, Julius, and um, they lost. So uh, <laughs> Chiefs are one and one. Jags are one and one now. Um, you know, I know the big takeaway from this game is going to be, oh, the Chiefs' offense looks terrible. The Chiefs' offense looks terrible. And yes, it does not look the same as last year. But I mean, again, Patrick Mahomes still threw for over three hundred yards. Um, he had he had the pick. Um, in this game, which you don't see too many interceptions from from Justin, I mean from Patrick Mahomes, sorry, but uh, Andre Cisco, and I'm not going to steal your line, but got the pick. Um, but Pacheco looked good in this game. He only had 12 carries, but he got 70 yards, so he made the most of most of his carries. Uh, I think Patrick Mahomes is running a lot more this year than what I like and that what we're used to seeing. Um, again, he lost some offensive linemen in the off season. Um, and I just don't think he feels comfortable back there yet or has the trust in his guy. So I feel like he's taking off a lot quicker than he used to. Or that could also just be not trusting his receivers. Um, I know Travis Kelsey came back uh, this week and he had nine targets, but he only caught four of them. That's not like Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey. They're normally more in sync than that. Um, Sky Moore caught a touchdown in this game. Uh, but again, you know... Kadarius Tony had five catches this week. He didn't drop a bunch, so that's good. He caught all of his targets, so you know that's building some more trust within within uh, Patrick Mahomes. So again, I'm I'm not worried about the Chiefs. You know they got the W. Um, Mahomes probably could have thrown another touchdown, but they kind of just bled the clock away uh, on in the fourth. Um, they got down into the red zone, and like I said, they threw one into the end zone, and Kelsey dropped it. He could have had his second touchdown catch of the day. Um, and then they just kind of blend the clock out and then, um, yeah, their defense though, shut, shut down the Jaguars, uh, offense and the Jaguars have a good offense. So it was interesting to see this game also had a ton of fumbles, you know, not all of them were recovered, but some, there were seven fumbles <laughs> combined, uh, only three were lost, but still there were seven times the ball hit the ground out of someone's hand. Um, you know, Carl Loftus, you talked about him last year, Julius, coming out of the draft. Mm-hmm. One and a half sacks in this game. Two quarterback hits, you know, just having a really, really good game. Um, Chris Jones being back is huge. You've We talked about it before the season started, and we're probably going to talk about it a lot now that the now that he's back. But he, you could just tell the impact he had in this game. It, it was It's wild how different the defense is. They probably would have won week one if he was there. Uh, Trent McDuffie mm-hmm. keeps playing good, and, and you know he was one of my uh, bold predictions for this year. So I like to see him playing well. Um, then over to Jacksonville, Jacksonville's defense also played well again. Devin Lloyd, someone that we're both high on, eleven tackles. Um, mm-hmm. You know th- their defense didn't play bad. And you only gave up seventeen points to the Chiefs, you got, but the offense has to help you out. They they kind of just they were never out of this game, and they abandoned the run. I felt like and. and Again, Lawrence and Patrick Mahomes both threw 41 times. But again, this wasn't a blowout game, so you didn't need to do that. They only ran it 18 times. 
and five of those were Trevor Lawrence runs. So um, don't really know what's going on there. Again, as I talked about with the Eagles game, I feel like coordinators and guys who call plays just kind of get into their own heads sometimes and make things more complicated than it needs to be. I don't know why you would have abandoned the run that quickly, but if the Kansas City Chiefs outrun you, that's normally not a good thing because Patrick Mahomes only throws all the time. So um, got to give a shout-out to Christian Kirk. You and I kind of bashed him week one, and not really bashed him, but you know we were kind of like, well, he might be the odd man out in this offense, and he comes out and gets 14 targets and has 11 catches for 110 yards. So, um, yeah, Zay Jones had six targets and zero catches, which is wild because if you watch this game, he had two almost touchdowns. Um, just could not get that other foot down. And then same thing with Calvin Ridley. He had a touchdown, just could not get that other foot in. Um, so this could have been a much different game if Jacksonville could have had any of their guys get that foot down. But again, it goes with the pass is a, maybe a little too far, a little too high. Um, but again, it's a game of inches, man. And, and, and Jacksonville probably could have ran away with this game per se. But again, three touchdown catches that weren't touchdown catches and that's why the Chiefs won an away game and again one and one now and like I said after week one I wasn't that worried about the Chiefs and I think uh, especially with the Chargers having a slow their whole division had a slow start so Las Vegas and the Chiefs are tied right now for first in that division I just think the Chiefs are about to run away with that division this year again so um, one and one for the Chiefs offense I'm a little concerned about but again I think once Kelsey gets back and is fully healthy and they can kind of do the things they want to do. I'm not that worried about this offense. Travis Kelsey caught a touchdown. Chris Jones had one and a half sacks. He had a sack at midfield on fourth down. Again, why are we, why? Why are we going for fourth down at midfield? You're up three to nothing against a team that couldn't do anything on offense. Why help them? Why do that to give them their first score of the game? In, in, anyway, the guys who were missing last week, the guys who I specifically said, these guys being absent is why I'm picking Detroit to beat Kansas City. Shocking that they came back and had an impact in this game. Again, I don't care who your quarterback is. You need somebody out there helping you. So when you get Travis Kelsey back, when you get Chris Jones back on the other side of the ball, all of a sudden, things start to look more promising. Now, the narrative going on <laughs> with people, and people are funny. Uh, you know, last year it was Patrick Mahomes is going to get exposed because Tyreek Hill's not there. And we're going to find out that Patrick Mahomes is not that good. Patrick Mahomes without Tyreek Hill just wins regular season MVP and Super Bowl MVP. So you think these idiotic claims are dead. But one game into this season, all of a sudden, oh, Patrick Mahomes doesn't look the same without Eric Bieniemy. Now I'll give Bieniemy credit later. But let's be clear as to what the real problem is here. It is what I talked about before the season started and last week. These offensive tackles, the Chiefs lost both of their starting offensive tackles, who clearly they should have kept. So they could have found a way somehow, some way. Should have found a way. Jawan Taylor. The guy who was notoriously false started and lined up in the backfield on every pass attempt last week. Clearly, clearly, that got on the referee's radar. Juwan Taylor had five penalties in this game. 
Dewan Taylor was benched in this game. He didn't stay out of the game, but he was benched for a while. Dewan Taylor almost fouled out of a football game. On the other side, Travis Kelsey in this game had a 17-yard catch on a third and 10. It didn't count. You know why? Donovan Smith held. Shocking. You know what I said last week? Donovan Smith held. Shocking. You're going to get a critical hold from Donovan Smith every game. So now instead of a first and 10, which you should have had because you completed a pass to Kelsey for 17 yards, now it's third and 20. You got to settle for a Jarek McKinnon check down, and that's the end of the possession. So it's not play calling that's killing Kansas City. It's the fact that when you watch the Chiefs play, and this is why you've got to watch the games. When you watch the Chiefs play, it's always second and 15. It's always third and 20 because you have not one, but two tackles who can't play within the rules of the game. Good luck play calling your way out of that. Eric the enemy would not be able to fix that. Kansas City is going to have to do something about these offensive tackles because they're not going to win when it matters most with these two fouling up every possession. Now, add to this. That's bad enough. If it was just these two guys messing up, that's enough to derail an offense by itself. Add to it, Kadarius Toney, our guy who got the assist on the Brian Branch pick six last week. Darius Toney didn't cause a pick six this week. But he fumbled a screen pass that got knocked 10 yards backwards. And instead of a completion and second and six, it's now second and 22 because you still can't hold on to the football. Another drive-killing play that Patrick Mahomes nor play calling can do anything about. The next possession, Justin Watson catches a pass and loses a fumble. Again, that's not Mahomes and that's not play calling. That's a wide receiver who can't hold on to the football. Richie James Jr. muffed a punt to set up the first score of the game for Jacksonville. That's not play calling. That's not Patrick Mahomes. That's guys around Patrick Mahomes failing. You can't do anything about it. So I'm tired of hearing this narrative that it's all because Eric the enemy's gone or it's because Mahomes somehow took a step back. No, you've got incompetence all around Mahomes right now. And it's not on the coaching staff. Even the interception Patrick Mahomes threw in this game. Interception by Andre Sisco. And you, you can feel free to steal my line. I want everybody to say this line. Andre Sisco playing the most important position in football, playmaking safety, makes an interception on Mahomes. Why does Mahomes feel the need to force that throw? Because it was second and 14 after a Jawan Taylor false start. At some point, any quarterback, I don't care if it's Tom Brady, I don't care if it's Peyton Manning, if it's always second and 14, if it's always third and 20, because your offensive line can't play legal football, you're going to look bad at some point. That's the big issue in Kansas City right now. So I just want people to have the right narrative. You don't have to believe me, just replay the game. Watch the game and you'll see it for yourself. We talked about Christian Kirk stepping up. Uh, part of that was kind of receivers getting banged up in this game. Calvin Ridley in particular uh, clumsily fell into the goalpost and banged his knee. Uh, didn't look the same after that. You talked about the close calls multiple times on close touchdowns. Trevor Lawrence, in the, in the stat sheet, Trevor Lawrence was 0 for 7 passing the ball in the red zone in this game. 
Uh, but four of those passes didn't hit the ground. <laughs> just They were just close plays on the boundaries of the end zone that guys just could not get both feet down, like you said, Patrick. So in the stat sheet, it looks pretty ugly. In the stat sheet, it looks like Trevor Lawrence was extremely erratic throwing the football in the red zone. But uh, the reality is just a lot of close plays that the Jaguars just couldn't make happen. And again, when you're playing a team like the Chiefs, even with the struggles of the offensive line, you have got to take advantage. You've got to make those plays in order to beat them. Jaguars couldn't do it. That's the reason Kansas City wins this game. And the bottom line is through it all, through it all, through all the false starts, through all the holdings, through all the fumbles, it's still Patrick Mahomes at the end of the game making a key, key play. He rolls right, draws the defense to him, lobs it over the top of the defense. Sky Moore gets a big play, game over. Patrick Mahomes can still do something with this team, but he's very limited as long as this team can't play competent football around him. It's good enough to win this game. And the defense is going to have to continue to step up. This is the second week in a row where the defense has given up fewer than 20 points. They're going, to have to They're going to have to continue to play at this level until the offense can find a way to stop committing penalties and hold on to the football. But guess what? You got a get-right game coming up against the Bears. So I expect the Chiefs offense to take a step forward, even if they do keep committing penalties. Speaking of the Chicago Bears, they do what they do best, lose. They lose this time to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, 27 to 17. Second play of the game, Jaquan Brisker has a shot and interception. It should be an interception. And again, you're playing the most important position, playmaking safety, so you really need to come up with this play on a bad team. But he doesn't make the play because that's what bad teams do. And when you look at the Bears' defense so far this year, and we, we didn't expect a whole lot from this defense, but you expected to see a little bit of a step forward. I mean, they spent money in free agency to try to make this thing look a little better through two games against small sample size. But the Bears' defense has one sack and no takeaways through the first two games. You can't make plays. You can't stop anybody. It's just not a good look for the defense. Offensively for the Bears, DJ Moore, two targets on the first drive of this game. Thank you very much. You only had two targets last week. Deontay Foreman had more targets. I said this last week, had more targets than DJ Moore last week. Deontay Foreman was a healthy scratch this week. How does a healthy scratch running back have more targets in any game than DJ Moore? That can never happen again. So the Bears actually get off to a good start in this game. DJ Moore, 65 yards. See what happens when you throw your playmaker the football? 65 yards on the first possession, leading to a Bears touchdown. And 39 yards the rest of the game because the Bears can't sustain offense, nor can they sustain defense. Terrible combination. There was a key play in this game. And again, a lot of these games had uh, singular plays that you could look at and say that game kind of turned, that play kind of turned the game around. Key play in this game, David Wells, who apparently plays football, not just pitches in baseball. David Wells catches a pass in this game. Jalen Johnson hits him, knocks the ball loose. The ball gets knocked back about 12 yards. And it is Baker Mayfield who recovers the fumble, beats the Bears' defense to the ball. Again, another missed opportunity for a takeaway for this Bears' defense that just can't create a takeaway. So Baker Mayfield saves that possession. The very next play, 
Mike Evans scores a 32-yard touchdown, burning Tyreek Stevenson, who is really struggling as another young piece in that secondary. So just that play. And the Mayfield fumble recovery is not going to show up in any stats that you're going to check. You're not going to check quarterback fumble recoveries when you look up how a quarterback did. But that's the biggest play of the game that Baker Mayfield made. And as for Mike Evans, I mean, all game long, just able to exploit this secondary. The secondary's weak, and now it's shorthanded as well as being weak. I don't like the Bears secondary right now when it's at full strength. Uh, but, you know, having injuries on top of it and having, like I said, somebody like Tyreek Stevenson having to play a featured role in this secondary, it's just not going well for the, for the Bears so far. And yet through all that, Chicago was still hanging in this game. Uh, Justin Fields had his best throw of the season, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, I throw to Chase Claypool for a touchdown. Uh, the defense got a stop right after that. Shockingly, the Bears defense got a stop. And with a little over two minutes left in the game, the Bears had the ball and an opportunity to tie this game or take the lead. Now, what set this last drive up for the Bears was Jake Camarda. Again, I talked about him last week uh, stepping up. Jake Camarda stepped up again, got a punt down inside the Bears' 10. So now you're forcing the Bears to go the length of the field. You're not giving them 20 yards with a stupid touchback. So nice job by Camarda to pin that offense back. Justin Fields, for the second week in a row, threw a pick six that you just can't forgive. Last week it was Quay Walker on a pick six, and it was a great return by Quay Walker. But Quay Walker had to undercut another Packer to get that interception. This week, with the game on the line, Justin Fields throws a four-yard, I said a four-yard pick six to a defensive end to Shaquille Barrett. Nice play by Barrett, but under no circumstances should a pass that isn't deflected or knocked out of the quarterback's hand end up being a four-yard pick six by a defensive lineman. You just cannot have that. So. There's a lot of issues going on with Chicago. Everything still looks the same with the Bears. This offensive line still sucks. They gave up six sacks. Justin Fields is still getting hit way too much, still doesn't have nearly enough time to do anything. But Justin Fields is making things worse with these ridiculous turnovers that are leading directly to touchdowns for the other team. And the defense, despite signing Tremaine Edmonds, despite signing TJ Edwards, this defense... Looks the same. Everything that the Bears did wrong last year when they ended up with the number one pick in the draft looks the same as it does now. And that is a major concern for me. As for the Bucks, they like said they did enough to get the job done once again. Uh, Rashad White had a pretty decent game in this game. He ran hard. Uh, so the running game looked a little bit better. Can take it with a grain of salt because it's the Bears. But any sign of progress in the run game is good news for Tampa. And a uh, shout out to the rookie Christian Izian, second straight game with the interception, an interception that was basically forced by Antoine Winfield Jr., who just makes play after play for this team, playing that most important position, playmaking safety. But uh, Izian showing a knack in his career to find the ball. So good job for him. Nice win for the Bucks. The Bucks all of a sudden find themselves 2-0. They'll have a real test when they face the Sixers. Oh, they face the Sixers. What sport not thinking? When they face the Eagles on Monday Night Football, I'm very curious to see what this Bucks team looks like against the team that we have high expectations for. 
Uh, but so far, so good for the Bucks. And again, as for the Bears, 0-2, and you're headed to Arrowhead. Good luck, Chicago. Yeah, for all the hype that Chicago got in the offseason for trading for DJ Moore, Claypool's going to be in his, you know, one and a half seasons in the playbook. Um, <laughs> like you said, all the defensive guys, Edmonds, Edwards, uh, which, I mean, Jermaine Edmonds had 16 tackles, but you, one player can't make a defense, right? TJ Edwards, 12 tackles, but um, just just the same old Bears. <laughs> I just, I don't – the pick six was awful. You already talked about it. Uh, his fumbles, him getting hit all the time. This team just continues just to be the Bears. Um, again, they had a chance to, to win it after even with all the mistakes, and the pick six definitely sealed it. Um, I like that DJ Moore had way more targets this, this week. I'm glad he got over 100 yards receiving, as he should. You traded the number one overall pick for him, so essentially. So you should – be using him, or you should have drafted somebody number one overall. <laughs> I just don't. You would think. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, I like them. I'm glad he's getting used. Um, again, Claypool had eight targets, but only three catches. Uh, some of that is Justin Fields' inaccuracy. Some of that is Chase Claypool. So, um, I don't. I don't know. They're not winning next week. I, I would assume against Kansas City, but uh, <laughs> it's a good survivor pick. 0-3, 0-3 incoming, it feels like. Um, and I know it's only two weeks, and they've played two 0-2 teams, so they played the Vikings and Bears, but I will give a shout-out to Baker Mayfield. I was very critical of him last year, and every year he was with the Browns. Um, but this guy is playing like it's his last year in the NFL. Like He is playing like he knows, if I can't make it here, I am done, or I'm going to be a backup. So... Uh, he's played way better than I thought he would. I mean, I think a lot of that has to do with having Chris Godwin and Mike Evans as your one and two options. Uh, I feel like they can make a lot of people look better than what they are, but at the same time, Baker is pretty much taking care of the f- football and making good plays. So um, it's not like he's making bad passes and Mike Evans and Chris Godwin are bailing him out. He he is making good passes. Um this is the best I've seen Baker look since he was at Oklahoma. So, um, yeah, again, I give credit when credit's due, and he definitely, as of right now, I don't know if he can win comeback player of the year. I don't know if he can <laughs> come back from being on the Panthers, right? But um, uh, he definitely is playing very well right now to start the season and is a big reason that the Buccaneers are 2-0. and um, Again, for a team that a lot of people thought would struggle, um, their defense has looked good. Uh, Vita Vey with one and a half sacks yes. in this game. Uh, just huge mammoth of a man just in the middle, but just getting sacks, that's that's huge. Uh, they had six sacks in this game. Again, a lot of it has to do with how bad, we talked about this last year a lot, how bad Chicago's offensive line is. Um, and again, they had ten quarterback hits on on. Justin Fields, and that's probably why he also threw that pick six, but um, just it's a really bad start to the season for the Bears after a lot of hype coming into this offseason. A great start for the Buccaneers, which I don't I don't think a lot of people saw coming. I know I didn't. Um, you know, maybe a one-and-one start because they were playing the Bears, but, you know, just a, just a great start for Baker Mayfield and, and the Buccaneers 
And like I said, I give credit when credit is due, and he is playing very well. Um, they do go to Philly, though, so that's going to be interesting to see. All right. Time for the best game of the week. The New York football Giants. Yeah. Win. In the desert. Um, in a game that uh, the Giants did not score any points through six quarters of this season. Um, in a game that had me cursing and throwing fits in my house. Um <laughs> In a game that started off as poorly as a game can start off, um, somehow, some way, Daniel Jones and the New York Giants figured out a way to win this game. Um, I need more Jalen Hyatt on the field. I'm not saying you need to throw him the ball every time he's on the field. I just need him on the field more. When he's on the field... He's making plays. Other guys are making plays. You know, Jones looks like he has more space to operate with. It looks like he's doing his job, right? Taking the top off the defense. So they're following him so they don't give up a big play. Stings are opening up for Waller, Hodgins, Slayton, Shepard. Um, I know Dayball said he didn't take over the play calling in the second half. Kind of looked like he did to me uh, watching the game. He is saying, claiming he did not. Uh, but if you look at the first half of football compared to the second half of football, you could clearly see a change. Um, very big concern as a Giants fan. The defense, which I thought was going to be a lot more solid with what they added in the offseason um, and who they drafted and all that got carved up by James Conner and Joshua Dobbs. Uh, unlike Anthony Richardson, you really don't think Dobbs is a runner, but he was running all over us in this game. Uh, so was Conner. Um, Dobbs played a good game. Uh, I feel like the Cardinals were just kind of tricking everyone in the world. Like, yeah, y'all think we're going to win this game, but no, we're still tanking. Um, <laughs> and that's why they gave up the win. Uh, I really don't know how the Giants won this game, but they did. And looking at their schedule, it might be their only win for a while. So, uh, Giants fans, if you are one, take the W when you can get it. Uh, I don't expect many more W's the rest of the way out. Um, again, at the first half of this game, the Cardinals were just doing whatever they wanted. They're crossing routes, running the ball down our throat. It, it just didn't matter. The Giants just looked terrible. And then second half comes along. Daniel Jones looks like the second coming of Peyton Manning. Uh, he ended up the game with 321 yards, two touchdowns. Again, all that was in the second half. Uh, Jalen Hyde had a really big catch. Saquon Barkley's uh, touchdown catch was so impressive and huge at the time. Uh, we got a penalty in the goal line after a touchdown that they brought back to the 12. Barkley makes a catch, dives from about the 7-yard line, outstretches his arms, gets the touchdown. Uh, that gets us. That ties the game up for us. Um, and unfortunately, Saquon gets hurt while we're just trying to run the clock out to kick a field goal. Uh, kind of a similar-ish situation to the Chubb where he was being held up and then kind of got hit low. Um, and he's, they said it's just a regular ankle sprain, so it's not a high ankle sprain, so he's week to week. But with Saquon Barkley out, going to San Francisco on a short week, don't expect the Giants to win that game. I would be shocked if they did. 
Um, but hopefully Barkley can only miss a few weeks and come back because without Barkley, the season is definitely over for the Giants. Even with him, I don't know if he can do enough to help win games for this team. Uh, they don't look as good as I thought they would. And after struggling week one against the Cowboys, and when I say struggle, I mean not even looking like a professional football team, to then coming into week two and struggling hard to beat the Cardinals, temper your expectations. They'll probably finish last in their division. They'll probably have a top five pick in the NFL draft. Um, as for the Cardinals, again, started this game on fire. Uh, a lot of Eagles fans are laughing at the head coach saying that still still letting them down, even though he's not on the team anymore. Um <laughs> But, uh, again, Dobbs played well. Connor ran well. And the defense just ended up breaking in the second half. Um, again, their head coach was a defensive coordinator. You expect the defensive coordinator to make good decisions on defense. That's not what happened. And um, Daniel Jones just came out on fire. And, again, Jalen Hyatt really opened up the offense once he was on the field. Uh, I know he only had two catches, but when he was on the field, it opened up everything else for that Giants offense. Um, as for the Cardinals, are just a bad team, and they're going to lose a lot of games. So uh, in a game they definitely should have won, it might have been their only win of the season, um, they definitely blew this one. And, you know, the money line and the analytics and everything said they should have won this game. Uh, and they didn't. I still don't know how they didn't, but I will take a win whenever you can get one, Julius. It's it's nice for you to be able to talk about your team after they score and after they win a game. I will say that I was really, after last week's debacle, I was really expecting a monster performance from the Giants in this game. Uh, again, just based on wanting to kind of get the stench of last week off of them. Then you add in the news that Buda Baker got hurt in practice and was going to miss this game. And now he's on injured reserve. So now you have a tanking Cardinals team who loses a really good player at the most important position in football, playmaking safety. And you really think this is going to be a beatdown. But from the first play of the game, the Cardinals were the more physical team. First play of the game, James Conner bust out a 16-yard run. And the Giants struggled to match the physicality. And I'll say this, the Cardinals started off last week against the Commanders the same way. They started out hitting and committing penalties and doing everything to send a message that we're going to be the more physical team. So I've got to give Gannon or whoever is responsible for this credit because this is two weeks in a row the Cardinals have come out fired up. And if nothing else, they're hitting people. Even when you look at the Josh Dobbs touchdown run, it's not just that he ran for a touchdown. He ran through my guy, Xavier McKinney, to get that touchdown. So even the quarterback <laughs> is out here being more physical than the Giants' defense to start the game off. So I was highly alarmed by that. Uh, you have Dennis Gardick, who was a name. If, if we want to talk about names I hadn't planned to talk about in 2023, Dennis Gardick is one of those names. And he's already got his third sack of the season. He was able to take advantage of the absence of Andrew Thomas and just go around the edge, get a sack. And Garden Kim, he was making all kinds of plays in the backfield. He's making all kinds of hustle plays in this game. He is really a fun player to watch. And again, this is not a name I thought I was going to talk about this year, but he is making plays to start the season off. And then, of course, for the second week in a row, you have 
a pass hit Saquon Barkley in the hands and result in an interception. Now, last week, he gets nailed by Trayvon Diggs. That leads to a pick six. Uh, this week, he just heard footsteps from Kaiser White. Ball bounced out of his hands. And Jalen Thompson, playing the most important position in football, playmaking safety, able to come away with an interception uh, to set up the Cardinals nicely once again. So all of that happened in the first half. And the Cardinals go into the locker room with a 20 to nothing lead. So, so for the Giants, you're on pace to lose by the same exact score you lost by in the first week. But then an interesting thing happened. The Giants came out in the second half, and they remembered that they drafted a guy named Jalen Hyatt. One of the biggest big play guys. Well, he's small in stature, but a big play guy in this entire draft class. First play of the second half. 58 yards to Jalen Hyatt. Uh, he runs right by the backup safety. I, men I mentioned Buda Baker being out. His backup got smoked <laughs> on a deep route by Jalen Hyatt to start off the second half. And it was like at that point, the Giants could kind of breathe a sigh. Like, yes, we can actually do something on offense. So that leads to a touchdown. Arizona actually responded and scored a touchdown. So the Cardinals were up 28-7 in this game. Uh, but then came the fourth quarter, and the Cardinals look like a team that's interested in the number one pick of the draft. Still trying hard, but just not doing anything well in the fourth quarter. They get outscored in the fourth quarter, 17-0. And uh, like you said, Jalen Hyatt had another big catch later, later in the game. Again, a smallish guy, but he, he went up and got the second deep throw. So I got to give Hyatt a lot of credit. And that's something he's shown he can do in college. So it's nice to see the Giants letting him uh, do what he does. It took them... I don't know, a game and a half to realize they got a big play guy in Jalen Hyatt, so I want to see more of it moving forward. But uh, late in this game, Arizona's, there's three minutes left in the game. It's a tie game. It's third and 16. We know that's a, a low percentage play. But on third and 16, you throw a two-yard pass to the slowest eligible receiver on the field in Zach Ertz. It's losing football. That's losing football. You have Rondell Moore. You have Marquise Brown. You have fast guys who can potentially turn a three-yard pass into a 16-yard catch if you give him a chance. Zach Ertz is not going to do that, certainly not at this stage of his career. So that's the kind of stuff that you do to lose games. And so the Giants get the ball and they kick the game with a field goal on the next drive. I mean, it's just that kind of give-up play. A lot of times, that's what gets you to the number one pick in the draft. It's not that you go out and you get blown out 17 straight games. It's that you do stuff like that at the end of a competitive close game, a game that you should have been able to put away a lot earlier but failed to do so. Uh, you hate that Saquon Barkley got injured. Uh, you hate to see how it happened. Uh, the Giants are downplaying the injury as much as they can, <clears throat> but it seems like it's almost impossible that it's going to be ready for this Thursday. And uh, against the 49ers, I'd, I'd probably lean towards Preston Barkley anyway because this, this is probably going to be a loss whether Barkley plays or not. So you might as well give him a week off, take the beat down, and regroup with a healthier Barkley in a couple of weeks. Uh, as for Arizona, the, the tankings is alive. They've got probably more competition <laughs> through the first two weeks than they thought they might have. Uh, but they got Dallas coming into town and – Huh, that's going to be tough. That's going to be tough. Now, it might be a good thing for Arizona that they're really trying to lose games the way we think their front office is trying to. 
uh, but not looking promising for the Cardinals. This was two games in a row now where you look at it and you say, shockingly, the Cardinals had a chance to win, but bad teams find ways to lose. Moving on to the San Francisco 49ers. Uh, another impressive road win for them, this time 30-23 to over the Los Angeles Rams. As Patrick mentioned, the Los Angeles Rams, who looked better than a lot of us thought they would look, particularly without Cooper Cup to start the season. A team that I said did have a, a high ceiling, but it depended on health. But even without Cup, the Rams are showing some things. Now, I will say this. I'm not going to blow the whistle, but I'm just going to say this. These teams are well aware of you. And when I say you, I mean you, the gambling man or gambling woman. Absolutely no reason for the Rams to kick a field goal down 10 as time is expiring, except for the purposes of cutting the 10-point lead to 7 when they were seven and a half point underdogs. No, that's not even a blow the whistle, Julius. That's a that's a let's get the competition <laughs> committee together and make some new <laughs> rules. That's not even a blow the whistle. <laughs> I, I, I just have to start with that because that 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 is one of the pettiest things I've ever seen. And, and you can't tell me there was any other reason. If if the Rams were down twelve, they're not kicking that field goal. I'm, I'm just going to throw that out there. So yeah. Getting into the non-betting parts of this game, uh, Christian McCaffrey, you know what's funny about this is Christian McCaffrey played 100% of the snaps in this game. I said 100. It can't get higher than that, for those who don't know. Kyle Shanahan said before the start of the season that the goal was to keep Christian McCaffrey fresh throughout the season so he would limit and manage McCaffrey's workload. 100% of the snaps, apparently, is Kyle Shanahan's definition of low advantage. Now, I'm not mad. And if you own Christian McCaffrey in fantasy, you're not mad. Christian McCaffrey leads the league in rushing and has 88 more rushing yards than anybody else in the NFL through two games. That's a lot through two games. Again, small sample size, a lot can happen over the next 16 weeks. But through two Two weeks, Christian McCaffrey is lapping the field in rushing. Speaking of lapping the field, Puka Nakua. We told you on this show, and I'm sure other people told you as well, last week was not a fluke for Puka Nakua. He is a good wide receiver who is effective at every level, short, intermediate, deep. Puka Nakua had 15 catches in this game on 20, I said 20 targets. Last week, I told you, whether it's Calvin Johnson, whether it's Cooper Cup, if Matthew Stafford trusts you, you want to talk about Joe Burrow locking in on Jamar Chase? If Matthew Stafford trusts you, he is locking in on you like it's nobody's business. 20 targets, 15 receptions for Puka Nakua. He's the first player in history to have double-digit catches in each of his first two games. Puka Nakua has 35 targets on the season. That's 10 more targets than anybody else in the NFL. That's double-digit more targets than Justin Jefferson, double-digit more targets than Tyreek Hill, double-digit more targets than everybody. I've just never seen a player get targeted like this, especially somebody who's a rookie who wasn't even a day one or day two pick 
it's just been amazing to see. But Puka Naku is for real. If you have him in PPR, he's the ultimate PPR weapon. Uh, and I, again, I don't see I don't see it stopping, man. Maybe it's not 20 targets next week, but you can count on double digit targets for as long as Naku is out there, especially while Cooper Cup is out. Uh, interesting development in the backfield for the Rams. Uh, Cam Akers deactivated for this game, and if you if you're surprised about it, uh, just ask Cam Akers. He was equally as surprised as you were, apparently. But uh, Cam Akers and the Rams have had tension before that seems to have reemerged, and because of that, this looks like the Kyron Williams show uh, for the Rams. And Kyron Williams against a very good 49ers front. You're not going to face a better front. Kyron Williams, 100 scrimmage yards and two touchdowns. He's got four total touchdowns on a year. When you're playing like that, it makes it easier to potentially move on from somebody like Cam Akers. So we'll see what happens there. But uh, perhaps, perhaps Cam Akers has played his last game as a Los Angeles Ram. We thought this before, but maybe this time it's for real. Now, it wasn't a perfect game for Kyron Williams. He did have an easy catch go off his hands, and that led to an interception. So you hate to see that if you're Matthew Stafford. But other than that, Kyron Williams did well. He ran effectively against a 49ers widely aligned defense. They had a lot of gaps uh, along their defensive line, and Kyron Williams was able to take advantage and slash through some holes there. So a good game for him, but did have a critical drop. Uh, that led to a turnover. And when you're facing a team like the 49ers, you can't have that kind of a state. That said, San Francisco was down at the end of the first half by a touchdown. And on the last play of the first half, they could have taken a chip shot field goal. They said, no, from the half yard line, we're going for it. It's all or none. Uh, they get a QB sneak for a touchdown. I think from a half a yard out, you kind of had to do that. But still, it's, it's kind of a mental boost to know you're going into halftime tied even though you didn't play your best football. And then, of course, the 49ers came out the second half. Uh, the defense turned it up a notch, and they were able to come away with the win. Uh, Matthew Stafford had a chance in this game late. Uh, you're just down seven, under five minutes left. So you had a chance to potentially tie the game with under five minutes left. Stafford threw a second interception. Again, the first interception was not Stafford's fault at all. The second interception, the one he threw to Diamador Lenore, that's 100% on Stafford. That put the 49ers in position to kick an easy field goal and make it a two-possession game. And uh, that was all she wrote, unless you're somebody that was following the game for spread purposes. I did notice that Brock Purdy overthrew several deep passes. Several times uh, Purdy missed by overthrowing the ball this game. But I will give him credit for the fact that he never put the ball in harm's way. I hear all the time the cliche about tips and overthrows are what create turnovers. When Purdy did overthrow the ball, he overthrew defenders. <laughs> so uh, never a concern about him protecting the football, but you would like to see a little more consistency, a little less erratic play on those deep passes. So there's something to keep an eye on there. But otherwise, another successful start for Brock Purdy, another win for Brock Purdy. All the man does is win, at least in the regular season. Uh, we'll see if he can you know, finish a playoff game or finish a couple playoff games, but uh, regular season, Brock Purdy seems to not be able to lose. And, you know, we'll get to see Purdy on Thursday night, see if he can keep that streak alive. There's a great chance he's going to do that. And again, the Rams go to Cincinnati Monday night. Again, I just remind people there's a chance that Joe Burrow may not even be available for that game. So the Rams so far look better than we thought, maybe. Bengals look 
a little worse than we thought, maybe. There's a chance for the Rams to make a statement, but again, they've got to clean up a couple of turnovers here and there. But overall, I thought this was a good showing against a very, very strong 49ers team. And I think the Rams should feel encouraged, even though they kind of blew an opportunity to win this game. But they hung in with as good of a team as they're going to face. So good sign, but still room for improvement for the Rams. As for the 49ers, the train keeps rolling right along. Yeah, uh, in a game where Aaron Donald was relatively quiet for Aaron Donald standards uh, and for you to only lose by seven, even though it should have been ten. Um, yeah, no, the, the Rams, again, are playing a lot better than, than I think either of us anticipated. Uh, Matthew Stafford's arm looks healthy. Uh, I, think that's, I think that's the biggest last year, you know, no with, his, with his neck and arm and everything going on. I talked about it in the preseason uh, before the season started, I was like, I just don't trust their eyes. They're downplaying that injury way too much. And when I think it's more of a big deal than what they were in last year, it kind of showed it. It looks like he's actually healthy this year, uh, which we know when Matthew Stafford's healthy, he will throw the ball a lot and get and, and keep you in games. He'll throw you out of games, but he'll also keep you in games. Um, I need to apologize because last week I said I wouldn't be scrambling to pick up Puka uh, to win your fantasy leagues. Um, I still believe that once Cooper Cup gets back, he will not be getting 20 targets a game. But um, <laughs> but if he if Cooper Cup is out for six, seven, eight weeks, listen, Puka could get you five, six, seven wins. So I apologize for that terrible uh, bit of advice. But uh, we did say that he Hope would. You listen to me. <laughs> yeah, no, we we both were high <laughs> on him uh, coming out of the draft. We thought he would go a little bit higher than where he got drafted. Uh, but um, you know. I don't think anyone could have saw the 20 targets <laughs> coming. No, that, that, that's, that's, that's a lot of targets. Um, <laughs> you know, that, that's just, that's, that's absurd, but he is pretty much catching everything coming his way. Pretty much. Um, it, it's a great story. Again, when Cooper cup comes back, if he's healthy, we know Stafford will lock in on him. Uh, that's his guy. He's a triple crown winner. So uh, I, I do think there still is a role for Puka when he gets back though. Uh, and we're just hoping um, that, you know, you, you can find a nice balance within there, which I think they will. Um, to your point about Brock Purdy, uh, he's the new and improved Jimmy Garoppolo. Just don't turn the ball over. We're going to win some games. Um, McCaffrey just is, again, at the beginning of the season, just on another level, just balling. Um, I still think McCaffrey's the best running back in the league. Uh, Bijan is coming for him. But uh, yeah, McCaffrey just is, is just just like Bijan. They're both just special, right? These are just two special running backs in the NFL, uh, and it's no great. Doubt. And it's great to watch them both play. Uh, we'll get to my other favorite running back in the NFL, who is not going to be in the NFL for the rest of the season, and hopefully he comes back. But we'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, but Debo, uh, big game for him to come to come out. Uh, I think a lot of that had to do with Ayuk getting hurt. Um, yep. You know, but Debo came into the game. I'm still looking for George Kittle to get more involved in the offense as a pass catcher. I feel like uh, at the end of the last year when Purdy did come in, you saw Kittle get a little bit more involved. Uh, but again, this offense is 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 going to run the ball and try and get McCaffrey involved in as many ways as possible. Then everybody else just kind of has to fill in, right? So, like you said, Purdy missed some passes. Uh, but it was good to see Debo get involved this week along with Christian McCaffrey. 
uh, and I'm sure someone will burn the Giants next week because the defense just has not looked good at all and coming off of a short week. Um, one thing I do want to highlight because it's not going to show up in the box score and Julius pretty much touched on everything else again. Aaron Donald didn't really have that great of a game by Aaron Donald standards. Um, and I feel like the San Francisco just has played Los Angeles so many times. Obviously, they're in the same division. They kind of knew how to neutralize them. But um, Javon Hargrave had almost a Jadavian Clowney moment. Um, <laughs> and if you all watch the game, you'll know what I'm talking about. It was on a run play. He was tackling Matthew Stafford as he was handing the ball off. Hargrave almost got that ball out of <laughs> Matthew Stafford's hand. He almost got the ball handed off to him. Uh, it was crazy to see uh, how quickly he got into the backfield. Beast. Um, and it would have been, if he could have made that play, it would have been amazing. It was still an amazing play, but... Man, if he could have if he could have taken the handoff, that would have been an epic, epic play. But I just wanted to highlight that, um, you know, the rich got richer when they when they signed him. So it was just one of those things where, man, if he could have finished that play the way that it looked like it was going to get finished, uh, that was just amazing play. I just wanted to shout that out um, for Javon Hargrave because again, it, well, that's not going to show up in the box score, but that was just an amazing, an amazing play. Going to Texas, where the New York Jets, Sands, Aaron Rodgers faced the Dallas Cowboys. Um, this game kind of went how everyone thought it was going to go. And the reason why people think that uh, the Jets cannot win was Zach Wilson. Now, I do want to give Zach Wilson a little bit of the benefit of the doubt because you're going up against one of the best defenses in the NFL. But then he also threw three interceptions. So it's kind of hard. It's kind of hard to give him the benefit of the doubt. But uh, at the same time, they just blanked the other team from New York uh, not, not too long ago. And without Garrett Wilson getting his 68-yard touchdown, this would have been an even worse score <laughs> for this game. So, um, again, the Cowboys' defense looks legit. I know there was no Aaron Rodgers in this game. Um there was no run game for the for the Jets. So, you know, you go back to the first drive of week one where the Giants just pretty much ran down Dallas's throat. There was absolutely no run game from the Jets in this one. If you take away Zach Wilson scrambling for 36 yards, um, they had 20 yards. So not a good day, not a good day in the office for the running game for New York. Um, and again, besides the Garrett Wilson touchdown, their offense pretty much did absolutely nothing in this game. Um, Zach Wilson under 200 yards passing, which we all kind of expected. And that's just kind of how the game went. Um, C.D. Lamb, huge game. 13 targets, had 11 catches for 143 yards. Uh, not Puka Nakua stats, but, you know, kind of close. <laughs> uh, who, who is Puka Nakua? <laughs> who, who can be that, though? Um, again, as, as most people know by now, if you're in a Dak Prescott team, if you're a tight end, you're going to get looks. Uh, Jake Ferguson got a touchdown and Luke Schoonmaker got a touchdown. Uh, he only had one catch and it was a touchdown though. So if you're a tight end, you might be getting touchdowns in these offense. You just got to hope that it's coming your way while you're down in the, in the red zone. Uh, yeah, but besides CD lamb, no one else really got too many targets besides Tony Pollard. Uh, but again, I think that was more just kind of using the short passing game as a run game as well, just to kind of bleed the clock out in this game. Um, 
they didn't really need to do much. You know, the offense was efficient. The defense did what it needed to do besides that one pass play to Garrett Wilson. Micah Parsons is a absolute animal. Um, I'll let Julius talk more about that since that's his defensive player of the year pick. And I'm going to highlight my defensive player of the year pick in a few, few moments mm-hmm. here, but uh, it looks like a two man race right now. And honestly, I can't tell you who would win if the season ended right now, because they've both just been amazing the first two weeks. Uh, and it's great to see uh, in a, in a league where obviously offense is all the NFL wants. So to see guys on the defensive end, step up and, be you could actually make arguments in my opinion for them to be MVPs um and you just love to see that in a league that is uh trying to get defense eradicated from itself so um again huge huge game for the the defense of Dallas and Micah Parsons man I just can't heap enough praise on that guy I still don't know how he fell to the Cowboys in the draft and for all the Cowboys fans who wanted to cut Brandon Aubrey after the first missed extra point of his ever kicking career, um, yeah, you might want to calm that down. He went five for five in this game. So, and one was a 55 yarder. So, uh, thank you, Brandon Aubrey, for getting me 18 points in fantasy after I picked you up after week one. Um, I appreciate you. And the Jets uh, have a chance next week to get the monkey off their back, per se, against New England which we know how Zach Wilson has fared against Bill Belichick and the Patriots. If they lose that game and it's another kind of blowout after Aaron Rodgers got hurt, I believe they will be making a phone call to the Minnesota Vikings to see what they would have to give for Kirk Cousins. Um, if not, I just don't see how they continue with Zach Wilson. You, you can't trade for Aaron Rodgers, have Super Bowl hopes, and all these things and in the preseason, hard knocks, all this stuff to just see it falter away in the first half of the season. I I believe if they get blown out by New England, if it's a close game and Zach Wilson plays good and they just end up losing, I think they'll let it ride. I think if it's a blowout and Zach Wilson has another multiple turnover game, I believe that there will be, and it may not be Kirk Cousins. Maybe that's just me thinking that if the Vikings start out 0-3, they're just going to try and jettison that team and rebuild and maybe try to tank for Caleb Williams, but I can't see the Jets going five to six games at one and four, one and five, and just riding with Zach Wilson, Julius. I just, I just don't see it happening. It's, it's a tough spot for the Jets to be in because, as we've acknowledged before, the Jets made this all about Aaron Rodgers. You brought in Nathaniel Hackett. You brought in two receivers that nobody's scared of and Alan Lazard and Randall Cobb just because they're buddies with Aaron Rodgers. Those guys don't make your team better. They just made Aaron Rodgers happy. So you made all this about Aaron Rodgers. You did not have a plan B. And I keep hearing people say, oh, the Jets need to trade for Jacoby Brissett. The Jets need to trade for Taylor Heineke. Those guys were available as free agents. Like, if you were to do something, you, sh- you should have done it then where you didn't have to give up anything for those guys. It's late now. The season started. Your system and everything else, your playbook's in place. Asking somebody to just come in in the middle of the season and, and save your season, that usually doesn't work out well. I remember years ago when a panic trade was made for Sam Bradford and it turned out to be a disaster. If you didn't want Zach Wilson to be on the field, keep in mind Aaron Rodgers, as great as he is, Aaron Rodgers is a 39-year-old quarterback going on 40. 
Now, Tom Brady might have y'all thinking that 44 or 45 is the new 36, but every other quarterback in the NFL history not named Tom Brady has basically fallen apart at or around 40 if they made it that far. So to have a pending 40-year-old quarterback with Zach Wilson being the plan B, this is what you end up with. So I'm not a fan of any move the Jets can make at quarterback. I'm not a fan of Kirk Cousins because, again, your aspirations, the reason you brought in Aaron Rodgers was not to make the playoffs. If all you wanted to do was make the playoffs, you could have signed Derek Carr. You could have signed Jimmy Garoppolo. With this team, they would have got you to the playoffs. You signed Aaron Rodgers because you thought the rest of your roster was good enough to win a Super Bowl. Kirk Cousins has proven time and time again he's not that guy in primetime. Now, Kirk Cousins will make Garrett Wilson happy because that means more numbers for him. But Kirk Cousins is not going to get you to the promised land. We, we, we know that about Kirk Cousins by now. It's not a secret anymore. The sample size is very large. So good luck to the Jets for, in trying to resolve this. You had a chance to resolve it. You didn't. You left Zach Wilson on the team. You let him be a prominent feature in, in hard knocks and tried to convince all of us that Aaron Rodgers had rubbed off on him. You get what you get. Moving on to this game, you save Micah Parsons for me. Micah Parsons, two sacks, three tackles for loss, a steal. I'm, I'm, just, I'm making up a stat now, a steal. He took the ball from Dalvin Cook. That's not a forced fumble and a fumble recovery. That's just a straight steal. And, oh, by the way, an assist as well. And when I say assist, he chased Zach Wilson out of the pocket all the way to the sideline and forced Zach Wilson to throw a dumb pass to J. Ron Curse for an interception. By the way, it's the second week in a row where we've seen Parsons do it. Last week, he did the exact same thing to Daniel Jones, chased him out the pocket all the way to the sideline and made him throw a stupid throw to Stephon Gilmore. Michael Parsons is literally gifting his teammates interceptions with his ability to rush the passer and force them way out of the pocket. And what makes Micah Parsons special is this. When you talk about the other preeminent edge rushers in the game, T.J. Watt, who we'll talk about later, Nick Bosa, Miles Garrett, when you talk about these other edge rushers, you know exactly where they're coming from. T.J. Watt is coming from the edge on the right side of your offense. Nick Bosa is coming from the same spot. Miles Garrett's coming from the other side off the edge. Micah Parsons can come from anywhere. The first sack he had in this game, he came right up the middle. You can't hide from Micah Parsons. You can't just scheme and say, let's put an extra guy over there. Well, if you put an extra guy over there, now Micah Parsons is over here. He can come from any direction. And I've never seen a pass rusher who could rush from anywhere on the defensive front the way that Micah Parsons can. It's going to be a very interesting defensive player of the year race if everybody stays healthy. And that, that's a big if. And, you know, you just have to hope for the best there. But if it happens... It's going to be a fun race. Micah Parsons is going to be in the discussion for sure. We're seeing that. Uh, Dak Prescott in this game, I would describe him as cautious and deliberate with the football. Uh, he had one bad throw that should have been intercepted by Ahmad Gardner. Again, when you're a struggling team and the Jets suddenly went from Super Bowl contender to struggling, <laughs> these kind of things happen. So Gardner drops that pass. That was kind of the one chance the Jets might have had to get a little bit of a spark. Other than that, a very cautious performance, very efficient performance from Dak Prescott. But I thought at times he was almost cautious to a fault. Uh, you talked about the touchdown to Jake Ferguson. I felt on that play, Dak Prescott actually held onto the ball a little too long. 
It's just that the Jets just looked lost on the right side of their defense on that play. Uh, so that resulted in an easy touchdown. But I thought there were times in the game where Dak Prescott had to be sure he was sure he was sure before he threw the ball. And you can get away with that sometimes, but I just worry that some of those passes might end up being late and getting picked off by a, a more aggressive defense or by a team that's more engaged. The Jets, as they were last year, seem to be just dispirited <laughs> uh, by having Zach Wilson in the lineup. So you're just not seeing that extra effort uh, that you probably would have seen if Aaron Rodgers was able to play in this game. Uh, you talked about the big game CD, uh, CD of the Lamb had. Uh, tough catches in traffic, catches over his head. Uh, tremendous run after catch ability. I've always been impressed with Lamb's ability to run after the catch. He doesn't look like a big guy, but he runs like a big guy. And so I just really enjoy watching CD Lamb play. Uh, Garrett Wilson, you talked about the long touchdown. He was able to get past Stephon Gilmore and Malik Hooker, and a nice job on that 68-yard touchdown catch. Uh, but outside of that, Zach Wilson was one for seven when targeting Garrett Wilson. So the same frustrations Garrett Wilson had last year are starting to emerge once again. Uh, Garrett Wilson, you know, last week he stuck by his teammate. I give him credit for that. Uh, he tried to pump Zach Wilson up and say that's our guy, but you know, when your quarterback's going two for eight targeting you, it's easy to get frustrated. Because they're not even accurate. The, he's he's <laughs> no, not there's even. There's no chance. <laughs> and even the touchdown pass he threw um, Monday night, the first week, it was one of the yeah. greatest catches. I've, it was a front shoulder <laughs> fade. Who does that? They're just so, they're so inaccurate. It's just so bad. Yeah, when you have to when you have to backhand a, a fade pass to, to come up with a juggling catch, it's normally not a good sign. And so you, you can see that frustrating frustration coming. And you mentioned the three interceptions Zach Wilson threw. He kept the interceptions in check. Now again, some of the passes were just too bad to do anything about. But it seemed like at the end of the game, Zach Wilson just kind of stopped caring and started playing reckless with the ball. Uh, the pass to Malik Hooker that was just an easy interception thrown into double coverage. Trayvon Diggs. Of course, uh, Garrett Wilson was able to run past him, but um, Malik Hooker was just waiting for it over the top. That's a pass that you, you don't throw if you're actually trying. And the other throw to Trey it was an interception to Trayvon Diggs. And, and one, one thing about Trayvon Diggs, he if you're if you're not caring anymore, if it's garbage time and you just don't care, Trayvon Diggs will rack up some interceptions in garbage time. And this is the second week in a row that you see Trayvon Diggs make a play because he's not a coverage corner. And I know I have people telling me all the time that I'm a Trayvon Diggs hater. I'll be a hater for just stating the facts. Last week, he got the hit on Saquon Barkley. Why is Trayvon Diggs able to hit Saquon Barkley at the line of scrimmage? Because he's not covering anybody. In this game, he left his man. He was actually supposed to be covering somebody else. He left his man. That was great instincts, but he's not there to stick receivers. He's not there to shut guys down. He's there to go get the football. And there's nothing wrong with that. He plays corner like he's a free safety. And there's going to be times where that burns him, and there's going to be times where he makes spectacular plays. The interception he got in this game, again, he left his man and just jumped a check down, basically, to get the interception. So tremendous instincts, tremendous play, but just understand that there's a difference between being a playmaker and a coverage corner, and it's okay that Trayvon Diggs is the former and not the latter. You have Stephon Gilmore to be the coverage corner. You have Stephon Gilmore to be the main guy who goes up against the other team's main guy more often than not. Diggs can roam. That's what he's good at. That's a big deal, especially when you have that kind of defensive front and you're going to see a lot of hurried throws. That puts Trayvon Diggs in a perfect position to make plays. 
So that is me giving him credit. And if somebody wants to call me a hater, again, that's fine. I've been called worse. You mentioned Brandon Aubrey. Shout out to him. He didn't help me in fantasy because I didn't pick him up. So nice move by you, Patrick. Uh, four of the five field goals that Aubrey made were in the red zone. So if there's one little bone to pick with Dallas, you'd like to see more of those drives end up with touchdowns. You'd like to see Brandon Aubrey not get you 18 fantasy points because that means you're not converting at the end of drives where you have the opportunity to score. So that's the one little bone I have to pick with Dallas in this game. But other than that, uh, a plus 60 point differential through two games. And uh, with Arizona being up next on the schedule, Dallas has a chance to make that point differential really nice, even though the Cardinals have hung in tough twice. Maybe maybe they're tougher than we think, but uh, Dallas looks really good and doesn't look like much will get in the way. Uh, Zach Wilson is going to have to show me something before I pick the Jets against any decent team. And I know the Patriots don't have a win yet, but I have to lean New England uh, as long as Zach Wilson is playing like this. And again, it's not just that Zach Wilson plays poorly because the Jets got poor quarterback play all year, but it's something about Zach Wilson that just demoralizes this team. And until I see this team play with a spark with Zach Wilson under center, it's hard for me to say anything good is coming for the New York Jets anytime soon. Moving on to the Washington Commanders. They fall way behind in this game, but they come back to defeat the Denver Broncos 35-33. Uh, there's an irony here because just last week we were talking about the Broncos and how, you know, it's kind of the same old story from last year. You know, you, the defense holds an opponent to under 20, and yet they find a way to lose. And yet in this game, the Broncos scored 27, and that's before the Hail Mary. You would think normally 27 would be enough for Denver to win a game uh, based on what they've shown us in recent years, but uh, just not the case in this game. Uh, so I had concerns going into this game about Denver because you do have Frank Clark missing, and you know Frank Clark was signed to basically be the Bradley Chubb replacement and help this pass rush some. Uh, now that he's out, you just you just wonder where the Broncos are going to get a consistent pass rush from. So I had concerns going in. But this game started out great for Denver. And uh, I, I picked Washington, so I was, I was concerned <laughs> early on in this game. All of a sudden, out of nowhere, last week I talked about how Russell Wilson lost the two things that made him lethal, his ability to scramble and make plays off script and his ability to hit that moon ball, that high, deep pass with tremendous accuracy. He just hadn't seen that. At the beginning of this game, all of a sudden, it was back. All of a sudden, the Broncos remembered why they drafted Marvin Mims Jr. after they didn't involve him in the offense at all last week, despite Jerry Judy being out. So Mims gets a couple of deep throws, gets a deep touchdown. It, things are looking wonderful for the Broncos. It's everything that you thought the Broncos were going to be when they brought in Russell Wilson and they made other additions to try to make this team better. This is what was advertised. Uh, you had Javante Williams back, and it looked like he was running the ball well in the first half. You're starting to think, okay, these are the Broncos we've been waiting to see. And all of a sudden, you're up 21-3. And like I said, there's been a lot of games this weekend where one play seemed to change it. And in this game, the play that changed it was Russell Wilson running to his left, got a little careless or a little lazy with the football, a tremendous hustle play from Jamin Davis to get over there, knock the ball out, 
and force a turnover. Now, Russell Wilson, instead of going after recovering his own fumble, he just kind of signaled I was down, I was down. I'd like to see Russell Wilson go get the ball first or at least fight for it and then say you were down. But to just let the commanders go recover that ball, uh, that wasn't a good move. But from that point on, for the rest of the game, Washington outscored Denver 32-12. to 12. I mean, so that was a clear difference-making play in the game. That play woke up both sides of the ball. A listless-looking offense all of a sudden came to life. All of a sudden, Brian Robinson Jr. started running the ball well. All of a sudden, Sam Howell started making plays here and there. He had a nice touchdown thrown into double coverage where Terry McLaurin just went up and got it. And I'll credit Howell because we talk about it all the time, let your playmakers make plays. Terry McLaurin starting to get healthy from that toe injury he had the preseason. He looked healthy going up over a double team to catch a touchdown. And so, again, if you're at the Commanders, that's what was advertised for you to see. So you're happy about that on the other side of the ball. Again, after that Wilson fumble, Deron Payne, it's like something sparked him. All of a sudden, Deron Payne was in the backfield, it seemed like, every single play. Uh, Montez Sweat, same thing, just seemed like he was in the backfield every single play. This team just got sparked as a whole. And, again, all it takes is one play, and especially when you're a bad team. And the, the Broncos have shown us they're a bad team. One mistake turns it around, and they just can't recover. So that said, you know, you get to the end of the game, you're pretty certain at this point the commanders got themselves a win. It's 35-27. You're at midfield. Russell Wilson throws a Hail Mary. He is pressured, once again, on the Hail Mary. The pressure that got in his face forced him to throw the ball higher than he wanted. Ball lands short of the end zone. There is no excuse for that play to have gone for a touchdown. The only reason it did is because two guys, not one, two guys, Emmanuel Forbes Jr., who did get his first career interception in this game, so congratulations to him for that. He struggled to catch the ball, but he did catch it. Emmanuel Forbes Jr. and Derek Forrest Jr., one of them should have knocked the ball down or let the guy catch it at the five-yard line and just tackle it. But both of those players, Forbes and Forrest, tried to intercept the ball, tried to pad their stats. And in doing so, they kept the ball up in the air. Now other players are batting around, and it ends up in the hands for Brand of Brandon Johnson for a touchdown. That ball should have never reached the end zone. But it only did because two guys put their stats over just ending the game. Now the commanders end up getting bailed out because the Broncos don't convert the two. There was a clear pass interference on that play from Benjamin St. Juice. I mean, clear. But it's just one of those things where Denver played so poorly in the second half, it's hard to feel bad for them, even though a bad call cost them a chance to go to overtime. Now, all that would have happened would have been overtime. So you don't know what would have happened in overtime, uh, but you don't love to see a game end on a blatant missed call. Uh, Kareem Jackson, I said I would talk about him before. Jackson knocked Jacoby Myers unconscious on a dirty hit, as far as I'm concerned, a late unnecessary hit. Last week, uh, this week, he tried to stop Logan Thomas from catching a touchdown, so he launched himself into Logan Thomas. Another just ugly-looking hit knocked Logan Thomas out of the game. Uh, my understanding is that Kareem Jackson won't be suspended. Uh, I assume he will be fined, but I just don't like to see a guy out there headhunting week after week, and the spotlight will definitely be on Kareem Jackson moving forward. So hopefully this is the last time we got to talk about this with him, but he's two for two with just dirty, reckless hits as far as I'm concerned. Uh, last thing I'm going to say about this game, I got to mention him. 
Chase Young. I've taken a lot of heat over the last couple of years now for saying that the commanders made the right, right choice in drafting Chase Young, even over some quarterbacks that they could have had. Uh, but he's the ultimate X factor this year. He missed last week uh, because of injury. He's missed a lot of time in his career because of injury. Uh, but you see him out in this game. And this is, you know, your first game back in a long time. And you're playing at altitude. So you're not in game shape all the way. And now you got to play in those conditions uh, to come back, have one and a half sacks. He did have a couple of uh, plays where he made mistakes just being a little bit antsy, a little bit too, uh, just trying a little bit too hard to make a play. So, you know, you see him kind of jump out of position sometimes to, to try to try too hard to make a play. But overall, I was very impressed with what I saw out of Chase Young. And I'm just hoping to see more. If he can stay healthy, again, we know this commander's front is good even if he's not out there. If Chase Young is healthy and he's playing the way that I believe Chase Young can play, watch out for this defensive front in Washington. So in a game that looked like it was Denver's and they had control of it, the commander's come away with it and they're up there 2-0 and the NFC East has three 2-0 teams and a 1-1 team. So NFC Beast and the NFC South for some reason has three 2-0 teams. I still don't understand how, but they do. Um, credit to Sam Howell. Uh, again, he looks like a young quarterback. Uh, he makes some head scratching plays sometimes and, or just holds onto the ball too long or takes a bad sack or, or, you know, you, but again, you're going to have growing pains with that, with a young quarterback, but he also makes plays. And then shout out to Brian Robinson Jr. Um, big game for him. Um, but yeah, man, you, you feel like, you know, Russ was, was pressured besides the first quarter. Um, ever since that fumble that he had, I felt like the commanders were just in the backfield almost every time he dropped back. So Yes, he had 300 yards, but he went 18 for 32. There were seven sacks on him. He was pressured way more than that. I think they had 14 or 15 quarterback hits. Um, It just seemed like they were living in the backfield on on Russell Wilson. Um, Marvin Mims Jr., I don't know why he's not on the field more. It's kind of like the same thing I have with Jalen Hyde. I know they're rookies, but... They make a difference. They take the top off the defense, and and it opens up everything else. Uh, he only had two catches, and he went for 113 yards. So I mean, <laughs> what else do you need to see? You know, I, I don't know why little Jordan Humphrey is getting as many targets as Marvin Mims Jr. <laughs> at this point. Uh, I understand that Sean Payton brought a bunch uh, and a bunch of Saints with him. Um, again, don't know why, but he did. Um, and this is a game that you feel like Denver should have won, but the commanders just came out in the second half and, and just were the better team. Um, yeah, that brand, the second brand Johnson touchdown should have never been a touchdown. Um, the one thing I went watching the Giants game, I liked about Dayball for whenever the Cardinals were about to do their Hail Mary, he was literally telling every defender bat the ball down. And I feel like, that's what needs to happen. Every coach needs to teach because it's the same. The same reason Justin Jefferson made that nasty one-handed catch last year, and the, how the Bills ended up losing that game because he went for the pick instead of just batting the ball down. The defender went for the pick instead of just batting the ball down, and Justin Jefferson ripped it out of his hands. Um, I see way more games lost by guys going for interceptions than I see games lost guys just batting the ball down. Um, I know that's not as sexy of a stat as interceptions. But 
you need to win games. Winning games is more important. I mean, unless you got hey, unless you're going for a contract clause where you're getting like 500k for getting one interception, then I'm all for it. I'm all for going for the interception. But <laughs> if you don't have that clause in your contract, you better bat that ball down. Um, get your money. NFL don't care about you. Um, yeah, get your money. But yeah, it was it was nice to see Terry out there making plays. Um, it does concern me that uh, Jahan Dotson, who I thought was their clear number two receiver going into this year. Um, isn't getting as much um, looks as I thought he would. Uh, again, a lot of Dami Brown, you know, um, Curtis Samuel, they all had about the same amount of targets as Jahan Dotson. I know you want to spread the ball around, but just thought that you would see a little bit more Jahan Dotson than you are. But uh, Sam Howell, I will say this, he does spread it around. So everyone had about the same amount of targets. Uh, so that's a good thing. You're not getting a lot. That means he's going through his progressions, you hope, right? Uh, so that's a good thing. But again, Hal does hold on to the ball a little bit too long and um, and and definitely takes some sacks that don't need to be taken. But I think Commander fans have to be happy sitting at 2-0, and especially in the division they're in. They need to win every game they can win. Um, and this was a really big win on the road. You know, uh, Broncos, as we've talked about, you know, you always think they're going to be a better team than what they are. And the sample size is getting bigger and bigger that they're just a bad team. Um, we'll see if they can get it together next week. Um, but, you know, that's just that's just a tough loss. And, and now they're going to Miami to play a team that's 2-0, and and that offense looks unstoppable. So will the Broncos be able to put up more offense than they've been doing recently? Again, they the Hail Mary touchdown probably shouldn't have happened, so I don't – know if the 33 points is legit, but, uh, you know. And also on that two-point conversion, Jerry Judy was wide open running to the left, but Russell Wilson, ever since that Super Bowl, seems to have uh, an ongoing battle with the goal line. Uh, so um, it's you, you hope that you can kind of break out of that if you're the Broncos, and if they go on the road and beat Miami, that would be a huge win for their season you don't want to start out 0-3 in the same division as the Chiefs. Moving on to Miami. We're going to talk about them next. Uh, They went into New England and got a win against the Patriots, and it's never easy. I don't care what Patriots team is out there. Belichick always has them ready to play primetime, always has them ready to play at home. And second week in a row where the Patriots kind of came out flat and then in the fourth quarter of the game kind of turned it around and, and almost snuck out a win. Um, you know, I liked, I like this win for the Dolphins cause it's not the same way they won against the Chargers. And that's what I look for in a team. I look for, can they win different ways and can they ad- adjust to how the team is playing them? So if you guys watch this game, you notice that new England had three safeties in for almost the entire game. Um, they're playing a, a cover three, uh, with three deep safeties and they were not going to let Tua put up 400-plus yards on them. You could tell that that was the game plan. So what did Miami do? A lot of crossing routes, a lot of lateral movement, uh, Raheem Mostert runs, uh, which, shout to Mostert, when he's healthy, he he just gets yards, right? Um, big, big day for him. Um, again, Tyreek Hill called a touchdown in this game. He didn't go for... 100 plus yards but again the way they were playing defense he did what he became a possession receiver essentially and and most of the Dolphins receivers did and 
and the Dolphins took it and, and won the game. And like I said, I, I like to see teams that I have, you know, high expectations for be able uh, to win games in a way that maybe they didn't expect to go in there and win, but adjust and, and figure out ways to win. Um, Mac Jones did not look very good in this game. Uh, he forty he threw it forty two times, only threw for two hundred and thirty yards. So, um, just more of the same, really, from Mac Jones and the Patriots. They couldn't really get their running game going, and that that hurts. That hurts them. Um, Demario Douglas had a really bad fumble in this game, where he made a nice catch and was and was trying to get as many uh, yards after the catch as he could, and um, Bradley Chubb came from behind and just knocked it out from behind. Um, you can't, can't have that, uh, bad awareness, um, as a receiver in the open field. Uh, Juju Smith-Schuster caught five balls. They weren't for very many yards, but his knee looked fine to me. So I don't know if those rumors are true or not. Just like I was talking about with the Dallas Titans. If you are a tight end in the New England Patriots, you are going to get yards and you're going to eat in that offense. Um, Christian Gonzalez got his first interception of this of his career in this game, and it was a great interception. He uh, high pointed the ball against Tyreek Hill, and that was um, it was just a great interception. A lot of people were going off about Xavier Howard's interception, which yes, it was a good interception, but he had position on the receiver. Um, I mean, it was impressive that he got both feet down in bounds, uh, but the ball was kind of thrown right to him. So I was more impressed with Christian Gonzalez's. Uh, interception and the last thing about this game that I'll talk about and a lot of people may know where I'm going with this is the field goal block that was one of the best procedural pre-snap game calls plans that I've ever seen Uh, I don't think I've seen anyone ever attempt that on a field goal block I think you're going to see a lot of more teams try that um, cause even on the second field goal that he didn't block, it did seem like, uh, the field goal kicker, um, Jason Sanders did rush that field goal and he shanked it left. Um, so that was definitely, I've never seen anything like that, Julius. I don't know if you have, but that was definitely a nice little wrinkle from the Patriots special teams, which I feel like their special teams always shows out every year when you when you don't have a good special teams on New England, you're kind of like it's kind of like Justin T- Tucker missing a field goal. Like they made a mistake on special teams, so um, yeah, that was just one of the best plays I've seen from a special teams unit in a, in a long, long time. Uh, yeah, you you pretty much touched on everything with this game, so I'm not going to add a whole lot to it. But uh, like you said, uh, the Dolphins did show the ability to win a different way. Uh, obviously against the Chargers, they were able to exploit the Chargers through the air and just have a field day. Uh, the throwing the ball, catching the ball, running past the Chargers secondary all day long. And this game, it was really the Raheem Mostert show. And, you know, I've said this before about Mostert. He's, he's one of those guys. Again, if, if he had stayed healthy throughout his career, you're talking about one of the all-time leading rushers as far as yards per carry in his career ever. So he's always been an effective guy. He's always been a big play guy. And it's just been a matter of him being healthy. Uh, I think the Dolphins are doing a good job managing him so far. Uh, He had 121 yards and two touchdowns running the ball in this game. 
That's the first time in his career that he has had a regular season game with 100 yards and multiple touchdowns. We remember him single-handedly destroying the Packers uh, one year where he had, I think, 220 yards and four touchdowns or something ridiculous like that against Green Bay as a member of the 49ers. But uh, in the regular season, this is the first time Raheem Mostert has had over 100 yards with multiple touchdowns. So it's just good to see uh, the Dolphins able to make that adjustment and say, okay, if you're going to play a deep shell, we'll just run right through it. Um, So good job by them. I am blowing the whistle on Bill Belichick. I am not a fan of spiking the challenge flag in front of a ref. You are trying to work to get the referee on your side, especially when you're challenging a spot. You know, um, Ramondre Stevenson was marked short of a first down. It is very rare that the referee is going to give you the extra four inches on a replay that give you a first down. If you're going to try to make that challenge, which, again, is an ill-advised challenge in the first place, maybe try to butter the official up or do something. But I'm sorry, as a referee or as part of the referee uh, of of the officiating crew, if you spike your red challenge flag at my feet, especially while I'm in a crouch position, I can guarantee whatever you just challenged, you're on winning. (laughs) You know, these referees are human, too, so... You got to keep in mind that they got egos as well. I just don't think you can treat a referee like that. And I understand it's been a frustrating last couple of years for Belichick, but you can't take that out on the refs. And if you do, you're not going to get the calls. Because there was a moment later in the game, the last play of the game, another play that was that was initially ruled a first down that they ended up marking short. I think they got the call right. But again, I still think there was an influence of how you treated the refs on the call they made at the end of the game. Uh, you talked about Christian Gonzalez. I, I just want to touch on that again because this is a guy that you, know, you and I agreed was a steal where the Patriots got him. They were able to trade down in the first round and get Christian Gonzalez. Normally, you and I are kind of questioning what the Patriots are doing in the first round with a lot of their picks. Uh, we love the Gonzalez pick. And like you said, to see a guy beat Tyreek Hill to the high point. I know Tyreek Hill is known for speed and running past everybody and, and just being the most agile receiver in the league. But Tyreek Hill normally makes highlight plays out of jump balls. And so to see Gonzalez, a guy who is, by the way, taller than Tyreek Hill and runs, <laughs> he may not run Tyreek Hill's speed, but Christian Gonzalez runs very good uh, as far as his time goes. He runs very well. To see him make that play, that, that's big time. That's big time. If he can do more of that, the Patriots will be in good shape there. Um. The last play of the game, I just I touched on it earlier, but uh, that was an interesting play. You throw it to Mike Gesicki. Uh, he's about to get stopped short. I give him credit because instead of just giving up on a play, he did lob it back. And maybe we did find out why Cole Strange was a first-round pick because you don't see too many linemen able to jump in the air, turn, catch a lateral that's thrown behind him, and run forward. And I know Strange didn't end up getting the first down, but I just thought that was as impressive of a catch as you'll ever see from an offensive lineman. So... Uh, maybe there's something there with Cole Strange. Maybe we see uh, Cole Strange become a red zone threat or something at some point uh, in this Patriots offense. And I mean, I'm just being a little facetious there, but that was a nice play by Cole Strange. And I I wish it would have been a first down just because it was just such a nice looking play. Uh, You touched on McCorkle Jones and through two games, this is what you don't want if you're the Patriots. Through two games, McCorkle Jones leads the league in pass attempts. I don't care that it's just two games. Under no circumstances ever 
do you want McCorkle Jones leading the league in pass attempts? And by the way, he is 29th in the league in yards per pass. So one of the most inefficient quarterbacks in the league, and it's not all his fault. He doesn't have great weapons to throw it to. He doesn't have much of a big play guy. And they do have a speedster in Taekwon Thornton, but they just don't trust him, don't use him. So you don't have big play guys in this offense. But you don't want somebody who's inefficient doing that inefficient thing more than anybody else does it in the league. That's just not a mix that's going to work. So the Patriots have to come up with something. Either find a way to stick to the run way more often and become a little more conservative on offense in that sense, or find a way to either get Tyquan Thornton on the field or find somebody with some speed who can do something after the catch because you can't go on leading the league in pass attempts and being near the bottom in yards per attempt. And I'm glad you brought up the field goal block by Brendan Schooler. Like you said, it just seems like there's always a couple of special teams aces on the Patriots roster and then Schooler over the last couple of years. It seems like Matthew Slater's kind of taken Schooler under his wing. So, and Matthew Slater, I mean, he's going to be in the Patriots Hall of Fame just off of special teams contributions. So Schooler's got the right mentor on special teams. It'll be very interesting to see if teams try to do that more often because you got a lot of guys who got all this 4-2-4-3 speed and don't have but bit roles in the offenses. I just wonder if some of those 4-2-4-3 guys that barely get to play, if now they have a role just running in from the side and seeing if they can fly in and block a kick. Uh, that would be interesting to see. Teams should try it because <laughs> it was very effective. Like you said, it had a mental effect on Jason Sanders on his second kick. Uh, he, Sanders clearly was trying to kick the ball away from Schooler's direction and ended up missing the kick in the opposite direction. So uh, it'll be interesting to see. A, if more teams try to do it, and B, you know, if a team like the Jets, the Jets will be the next opponent for the Patriots, do the Jets try to do something to counter that? And if so, what does that look like? Very curious to see how this develops moving forward around the league. Moving on to the first Monday night game, and I'll use first loosely because these games overlapped. And by the way, blowing the whistle on the NFL for that. Nobody asked for two overlapping Monday night football games. Terrible. But it, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> but uh, in the game that started first, the New Orleans Saints come away with a 20-17 to win over the Carolina Panthers to improve to 2-0. Woo! Uh, the, the Saints' backfield has become a mess. Uh, you still have Alvin Kamara dealing with suspension. Uh, Kendrick Miller's dealing with a hamstring issue. Uh, apparently he was close to playing, uh, but not cleared for this game. So you were down to Jamal Williams and a practice squad player in Tony Jones Jr. Jamal Williams got a lot of carries early, so it looked like he was going to really uh, be the focus of this offense, at least in the run game. And then, of course, he leaves with a hamstring issue. So now you're down to just Mr. Practice Squad and Tony Jones Jr., and Jones Jr., he, he runs well in short-yarded situations. He was able to punch the ball in a couple of times for touchdowns. Uh, he just adds no explosiveness to the run game. So guys are going to have to start getting healthy, or in the case of Kamara, unsuspended, and that should happen soon for him. But uh, this team, I, I think they, they need Kendry Miller to, to get healthy in a hurry or, or something because I just think that in the long run, they're going to need more than Tony Jones. Again, Tony Jones had a nice moment scoring a couple touchdowns, but uh, they, they need somebody who's at least a threat to pick up more than four yards at a time running the football. 
Uh, that said, this was another one of those games that got off to a tough start. Uh, Bryce Young looks like a rookie that it is a bit overwhelmed. He's facing a lot of pressure. He's not handling the pressure well. On the other side, Derek Carr uh, has had some opportunities that he's missed, some miscommunication with, the, with his receivers at times. Neither offense looked good to start this game. The most impressive offensive play in the first half was Adam Thielen reaching behind his back to knock an interception away from Alante Taylor. I mean, that's the best offensive play in this game in the first half. Both teams just, again, really struggled offensively throughout this game. Uh, so it was going to come down to who was going to make a play defensively. And it was our Granderson who came up with the play for the Saints. Uh, he was able to chase down Bryce Young from behind Carl Granderson was and, and able to get a strip sack. And again, in a game like this, if you can get a turnover, if you can create a short field for your offense, uh, then that's going to be a huge advantage. So uh, big play for Granderson uh, to provide that opportunity for his team. And again, both with both teams struggling, you needed somebody to come up with an above-average play. The Panthers just, just don't have a guy to do that right now. Uh, so on the Saints side, it was Chris Olave who was able to come up with a juggling one-handed catch, a beautiful catch with tight coverage uh, from Chris Henderson Jr. Olave still able to make the play. And that led to finally a touchdown in this game. So... You need guys to kind of bail the offense out at times. We saw Garrett Wilson kind of bail the Jets out temporarily with a big play. Chris Olave, uh, former Ohio State teammate of Garrett Wilson, able to bail his team out and make a big play. And then, of course, at the end of the game, once again, Rashid Shaheed, who seems to be a closer for this team, he's the guy they look for in put-away situations. He, he's the closer, so... Uh, once again, he hits a deep pass down the sideline uh, for a big play at the end of the game to help seal the win. And New Orleans and Derek Carr, they're just able to do just enough to win this game. Uh, I, I have concerns with the Panthers. Again, on the, on the offensive side of the ball, Bryce Young, again, just he's facing a lot of pressure, and it doesn't look good when he gets pressured. The offensive line is going to have to step up. The receivers are going to have to step up, but I, I don't know who. I don't know who the candidate is to step up. I'm just not excited about any pass catcher in the Carolina Panthers offense to bail them out. And uh, Carolina ran the ball really well last year, obviously when they had Christian McCaffrey for the first part of the season. But even afterwards, you saw Deontay Foreman and Chuba Hubbard uh, have some good games running the football for the team last year. You're just not seeing that ground game take off uh, yet so far this year. So there's just nothing that the Panthers are doing to alleviate some of the pressure from Bryce Young. And then defensively, I've talked time and time again about how I like a lot of defensive players on the Panthers roster. You know, J.C. Horn, you know, I hate to say it, but he's on the injured reserve again. Uh, J.C. Horn is somebody I really, really liked in college. I liked him even more than Patrick Sertan II. That, that's how high I was on J.C. Horn. But uh, he just can't stay on the field, and that's – you can't help the team when you're not on the field. I feel bad for him, but at the same time, I just feel like it's just running out of time for him to prove himself. He's He's been great when he's been on the field, but unfortunately, it's been the exception when he's been on the field. And then last night, Shaq Thompson suffers what's believed to be a broken fibula on a play where a couple guys just fell into his leg after the play should have been over. Uh, so that's just one of those injuries you hate to see. And uh, with again, with the Panthers struggling so much offensively, you can't start losing defensive pieces as well. And that's starting to happen to Carolina. So things are looking rough. They've got to travel across country next week. And I just 
Can't see them going to Seattle and winning the game. Can't see Bryce Young having his first breakout game in that environment that Seattle's going to bring. So uh, just rough sales ahead for them. As far as the Saints, this is the second week in a row where the offense has looked extremely unimpressive. Um, I'll give Dave, Derek Carr the benefit of the doubt that, you know, as he starts to develop some chemistry with these guys, maybe it starts to look better. But at the same time, this offense, just, it looks like how it looked with the Raiders and the Saints have better weapons than the Raiders. So uh, it's, it's a little discouraging to see. We'll see if it gets better against Green Bay. But for now, it's been just barely good enough to beat two teams where the Saints have been fortunate that the other offenses have been struggling just as much as they have. Yeah, so south to the Saints being 2-0, um, this is Derek Carr's game, right? Like, he's a good-slash-mediocre quarterback. He's not a great quarterback. He's not a bad quarterback. He's just he's a good-slash-mediocre quarterback. Um, you know, and, and, I mean, he's put up a lot of yards in his career, and, and he's up there with some of the greats. You know, if you look at his stats, you, you would assume he's had a great career, and then you just look at the, the games, and you're just like, okay. But, um... Again, Jamal Williams got hurt in this game. Again, this was just a week where there were a lot of injuries, and especially to the running back group. Um, if the NFL is not going to pay running backs more money, I think I think this the CBA should work for if you're a running back, your contract is fully guaranteed money. Um, like I think that would be a nice little payoff, right? So if you're not going to get, no one's going to get the quarterback deals, right? That's that's normally reserved for quarterbacks, but. If maybe you're only going to pay running back seven or eight million, maybe it's fully guaranteed contracts. Like maybe that's where there can be a compromise. Um, because besides them and linemen, because linemen are always getting their legs rolled up on and stuff, I don't know another position that just takes the punishment that those guys take um, on a weekly basis. Um, but. Olave and Michael Thomas are a great duo. I like that combination a lot. Uh, Michael Thomas kind of being the possession guy and Olave being just ever, anything you need out of him. Do it um, all. Do it all. <laughs> Rashid Shahid, like you said, uh, just another guy that when you have speed, speed kills in the NFL, and then he just adds another layer to this offense. Um, like you said, Derek Carr just looked off in this game. He just was missing a lot of throws. Uh, Olave made a great catch. Uh, Michael Thomas had, you know, a bunch of possession-type catches. Uh, Taysom Hill was their best running back in this game. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's funny to say that, and if people look at it and say, oh, he only had nine carries and got 75 yards, he must have b- broken off a big run. He really didn't hit a 19-yard run, but still, to have nine carries, a 19-yard run, you still got 75 yards. That means that you were averaging like eight yards a carry, so he didn't have – a big breakaway run like sometimes he does, and that just inflates the stats. He get, he was consistently getting good yardage on his runs. Um, and, yeah, the Saints' defense benefited from playing a non-good offense, but they were also getting pressure on him. We know the offensive line for the Panthers isn't that good. Um, but once again, the Panthers' defense didn't let them down. Their defense has played good in two straight games. Um it stinks that they're also 0-2 in their division. That's not a good way to start the season. Um, but, like, you already talked about the injury. Uh, to, to another injury on their defense, which stinks, because their defense, the Panthers' defense is really good. The, the problem with the Panthers is, and you talked about it, they don't have any playmakers. 
there, there's you look at that roster and there's not one person that jumps out at you that is a playmaker. Now, I like DJ Chart, but he's not an X factor, right? I like him as a possession guy. I like him as a receiver, but I don't want him as my wide receiver one or two, right? Uh, Adam Thielen, again, benefited from playing across from Stefan Diggs for a lot of his career. Um, and, and he's a good receiver. I just don't see him as an X factor type guy. Uh, can Jonathan Mingo become that? Maybe. But then again, him and Bryce just haven't seen to be on the same page. He had eight targets in this game, only three catches. Um, Hayden Hurst has never been a big play tight end type guy. Uh, I mean, he will get you plays, but there's, and then Miles Sanders kind of is getting exposed this year through two games. Uh, maybe he was a product of the Eagles run system because he has not looked as good or explosive so far through two weeks as he did with the Eagles. Um, so, you know, those are, those are my concerns for, for the Panthers. Um, again, the defense has played how we thought they would play. They have played very well. Um, in the first two weeks, but the offense has just let them down. Um, and for most of this game, it looks much closer than what it was. And this game had a two-point conversion and a touchdown late to Adam Thielen to make it look closer than what it was. Um, but, yeah, they're, they're, like you said, they were running the ball just fine last year with Deontay Foreman, and they had Christian McCaffrey for a few games, but... Uh, just to see the run game not be as effective is very concerning because that will normally help take pressure off of your rookie quarterback. So, again, you have a rookie quarterback, uh, you're going to have growing pains, uh, and we'll see what this team looks like at the end of the year. That's going to be the measuring stick for me. I, I, don't, I didn't expect them to win many games, but where are you at the end of the season versus where you are at the beginning of the season is going to be a big deal for Panther fans moving forward. The second of the Monday night games, which again, NFL, blowing the whistle on you. Uh, I, I hate the double Monday night games, Julius. I'm not a fan. Um, wasn't a fan even when they were doing it the smart way, when they would do a West Coast team at like 10 o'clock and an East Coast team at like 7 o'clock. Um, two teams starting 7.30 and 8 o'clock just don't, doesn't make sense. It's I don't like it. We have two Monday night games coming up this week as well. I do not like that schedule one bit. I want them to get away from that. We already have games on Thursday. Then once college football ends, you got games Thursday, Saturday, Sunday. But we don't need two games on Monday. We just don't need it. I don't like it. Uh, so I'm blowing the whistle on the NFL. Get rid of the double Monday night. Nobody needs two games on Monday night, especially when you can't watch them at the same time. Um, but uh, biggest takeaway from the Cleveland at Pittsburgh game for me is obviously the Nick Chubb injury. Um, I think just like everybody else, we're all sending our Thoughts and prayers to, to Nick Chubb. Um, he's one of my favorite running backs in the league. Uh, from everything you hear, he's just an utmost professional. Comes in, great teammate, does his job. Um, and and he's just probably the best pure running back in the NFL. Um, and I, I had big hopes for him this season. Obviously, I'm not worried about fantasy football or anything like that at this point. You're just hoping that this person will be able to walk again and, and do all those things. You know, I'm not going to speculate on if this is career ending or anything like that, but, um, you know, you just hope that even if he can't play football again, he can walk again and, and be healthy enough to do all those things. And if he can come back and play football, that's great. And if that's what he wants to do, I'm all for it. But, um, it was just a really nasty injury. Um, Julius, I don't know your thoughts on it and I don't know how we want to clean it up, but you know, I'm kind of, 
again, I'm not blaming Minka Fitzpatrick for this. I don't think it was an intentional going for an injury type of hit. But if you're going to say the quarterback can't get hit low because they're in their pocket and their foot is planted and all these things, that's what happened. If if Chubb's foot didn't get planted, he probably would have been fine. This this never would have happened. Um, but his foot was planted. But I don't know if, if the NFL is going to make a rule to try and protect running backs. And if they're getting tackled already or going to the ground, you can't go low and take out their legs. Um, but I, I don't know how you can prevent these types of injuries. I just... There's always, especially with running plays, there's always bodies flying around. Linemen's legs get taken out. Linemen get rolled up on. Running backs always seem to be put in awkward positions with their legs and how they're bending. But um, it just sucks that it had to happen um, and that someone had to be injured this way. And it was just a really nasty uh, injury. And they wouldn't even show the replay on the live broadcast, which I was thankful for. I didn't need to see it again. Um but yeah, just a just a just a bad injury for for Nick Chubb. Um, moving on to the game, uh, Deshaun Watson just looks like a mediocre quarterback. You know, we thought that maybe him playing the last half of last year would knock some of the rust off and get him back to kind of what he was with Houston, and that just hasn't happened yet. I don't know how much longer you give someone that you gave a fully guaranteed contract to to be the savior of your franchise, um, but. His performances through the first two weeks just isn't what you expect from somebody who uh, is going to, you know, supposed to save your franchise. And I don't know if it's just putting a Browns jersey on that makes you become a bad quarterback, but it just might be one of those things where it just has bad juju all over it. I have no idea. Um, Watson had a pick in this game. He had two fumbles. Um, Both of those, well, one of the fumbles went back for a touchdown. The pick went back for a touchdown. So, um you know, and for Pittsburgh's defense, it was their two best players. It was Alex Highsmith and uh, T.J. Watt. So um, Pittsburgh's defense won this game for them. They scored 14 of their 26 points. Um, Boswell had two field goals. The offense did absolutely nothing in this game. Uh, Kenny Pickett is is not it. He is very inaccurate. Um, he was inaccurate in week one, and that's how Friermuth got hurt. Uh, you know, he, he missed a lot of guys in week one. He missed a lot of guys week two. Uh, the pick he threw was also a bad throw. Um, George Pickens, I know had a great stat line. If you're just looking at stats, but he was targeted 10 times, only had four catches. He had 71 yards on one of those catches, which was a touchdown. Um, so pretty pedestrian day if he doesn't catch that 71 yard pass. Right, so um, the best receiver in the game was probably Jalen Warren, and he's a running back. So, just a, a, another poor running game from the Steelers as well. Um, but yeah, I, I just you know, Mike Tomlin somehow finds ways to win and gets his team in positions to win. Uh, again, it was their defense, the combination of Alex Highsmith and T.J. Watt. Um, T.J. Watt, we talked about. Minka, uh, we talked about Michael Parsons and how he was a beast. TJ Watt had another beast game. Like I said, he got a touchdown in this game on the fumble and fumble recovery um, to, to get the touchdown. It was just, he had a sack, two tackles, he had four quarterback hits, you know, had pass deflections. It was just an all-around all great game from TJ Watt and Alex Highsmith. Um, but, 
yeah, a lot of concern for the Browns. Uh, they could have and probably should have won this game. Uh, and their offense, and especially their quarterback, let them down uh, when he was responsible for three turnovers by himself. Um, they also lost another fumble from David Njoku, so they had four turnovers total in this game. Um, but, you know, in another game where two offenses were pretty bad, um, you know, the Steelers' defense always seems to just put their team on their back and win games for them, and that's what they did in this one. Uh, yeah, like I said um, earlier, just another one of these night games where the offenses just got off to a bad start. Uh, first, like I said, first play of the game is a pick six from Alex Highsmith. Uh, Highsmith's the guy that has shown well as a pass rusher, uh, certainly in a complimentary role. But even when T.J. Watt was out last year, he showed that he can do it in a primary role as well. That said, Alex Highsmith in coverage is a nice wrinkle. Uh, that the Steelers can throw at you. And you saw that on the first play of the game, him lining up wide to cover Harrison Bryant. So you love the versatility that Highsmith brings to the table. Now, on that pick six, I don't know if it was Watson's fault or if it was Bryant's fault. I know the pass hit Bryant's hands, and it looked like Bryant wanted to stop and Watson wanted him to continue to the outside. Uh, just, just a messed up play all around. I'm not sure that that was necessarily a bad throw as much as it was a bad play design or a miscommunication but uh alex Highsmith able to take advantage take it to the house for a touchdown um from there just again more ugly football you saw kenny pickett throw a terrible interception to grant delpit again grant delpit playing the most important position in football play making safety uh delpit making a couple of big plays in this game in addition to the poor offensive play on both sides of the ball you had Gunnar Olszewski, and I have to blow the whistle on him. Why in the world would you toe tap on the sidelines to catch a kickoff? What are we doing? I mean, I just don't understand why somebody would do that. And so you have this man toe tapping to catch the ball inside the 10. So instead of just not doing anything, if Gunnar Olszewski had not moved, Pittsburgh starts that drive on their own 40. But because he had to go and catch the ball and make sure he got his feet in, you get the ball at your own nine. And then, like I said, Pickett throws the interception after that, which sets up a field goal opportunity for the Browns, which Dustin Hopkins missed. They had a Cade York flashback moment there. Uh, so it ultimately didn't cost the Steelers, but just a silly play from Olszewski. Uh, then if that wasn't bad enough, later in the game, Olszewski gets absolutely destroyed by Denzel Ward, fumbles. Grant Delpit, like I said, had a big game. He came up with the fumble recovery and, and returns it uh, down the field before he fumbles and the ball starts bouncing off of people and ends up out of bounds. I mean, this was just a goofy start to this game overall. Olszewski leaves with an injury. Uh, you, you hope for the best for him, but just an ugly night for him before he got hurt. And then, like you said, Patrick, the Nick Chubb injury happens, and uh, we just all have to just just take a moment and pause uh, because, again, we just don't like to see nasty, devastating injuries. Like I've said the last couple of weeks, I'm even more sensitive to uh, significant injuries having gone through my own now. Uh, and I just think about just the day-to-day -day life when you see it, Aaron Rodgers or J.K. Dobbins tearing Achilles or, in this case, Nick Chubb having a devastating knee injury. 
I mean, it's not just football, like you said, Patrick. It's not just about fantasy or it's not about season predictions that we, that might have been made about Nick Chubb and his stats. It's about the fact that day-to-day, the day-to-day functions in this man's life are going to be difficult for the next several months. And so that's what I think about with these players. Just hate to see it happen. Uh, Nick Chubb was one of the leaders in the clubhouse as far as trying to help running backs get paid, and that's after he got he actually got a deal. Uh, most of these running backs are playing on one-year deals. Nick Chubb actually got a multi-year extension, and yet he was still trying to fight for his fellow running backs, and you see why. Uh, so it's unfortunate that that happened, but uh, that's just how it goes in the NFL. Uh, you talked about the hit and what you can do about it. Uh, personally, like you said, I think the league does need to step in and do something about it. We know the league picks and chooses when to make a rule change. We saw uh, Rodney Harrison take out Trent Green's knee. There was no rule change because it's just Trent Green. Uh, we saw Kimo Von Ohoffen take out Carson Palmer's knee. And there was no rule change because it's just Carson Palmer and it's just the Bengals. But as soon as Bernard Pollard takes out Tom Brady with the exact same hit, now all of a sudden that hit's illegal because we can't lose Tom Brady. I don't know who it has to happen to, and I hate to say it like that, but diving forward from in front of somebody to hit them below the knee should be an illegal hit, in my opinion. It's one thing to dive at somebody from behind. You're trying to make a play from behind. You're desperate. You're trying to you know, swipe at their feet or something or grab their ankles from behind. I'm okay with that kind of hit or that kind of tackle. But diving from in front of somebody below the knees that needs to be an illegal hit, as far as I'm concerned. It's illegal to do it to a quarterback. It's, the other knees on the field should matter. And so that's how I feel about that. Um, yeah, you talked about Kenny Pickett. He had the, it was a great throw to George Pickett for that touchdown. Under pressure, fired a strike, got that touchdown going. Other than that, just a terrible game. I'm not going to give up on Kenny Pickett quite yet. The 49ers, I think, have a lethal defense. The Browns, I've talked about how I how impressed I am defensively with them. If Kenny Pickett can't get it done against the Raiders defense next week, then we got a problem. So I'm reserving judgment on, on Kenny Pickett until he has his first favorable matchup of the season. But through two games, it has not looked good for him. Uh, speaking of not looking good, Deshaun Watson, you touched on it. Just, just a poor game all around. Too many missed opportunities. Multiple face mask penalties. Now, I don't know about you, Patrick. I've never seen a quarterback be called for multiple face masks. I don't, I don't, I don't even know what you do about that. Uh, so between that and uh, apparently some extra contact with an official, Deshaun Watson is being looked at, but I don't believe that there's any suspension coming or anything like that. But Deshaun Watson should be uh, kind of walking a tightrope as far as conduct on the field with uh, his uh, past couple of years, but uh, didn't do so last night. The Pittsburgh Steelers in this game had negative seven. Let me repeat, negative seven. That means they moved backwards. Negative seven yards in the fourth quarter. On no level. I don't care if it's NFL. I don't care if it's college. I don't care if it's high school. I don't care if it's Pop Warner. You should never be able to put up negative seven yards in the fourth quarter and win. (laughs) That's just inexcusable on both teams. And yet, because uh, Deshaun Watson has the the fumble, again, Alex Highsmith coming through and making the big play there for the strip sack. T.J. Watt returning it for a touchdown. That's just a nasty uh, edge rush duo. That's the type of edge rush duo that gives your team a chance to win, even when your offense is completely inept. 
and they came through big time for the Steelers in this game. They, they were a huge reason why I picked the Steelers to win this game. But the Steelers have a lot of work to do. Uh, Pat Firemuth, you talked about him a little bit. Pat Firemuth has five yards. Five yards this season. That's inexcusable. That's that's not on Firemuth. That's on this offense. That's on Kenny Pickett. That's on play calling. That's on Matt Kind of Canada. That's on everything around Firemuth, but it's not on him. So they've got to fix that because he's a way better t- tight end than what his production says so far this year. And uh, n- another thing to keep an eye on, Minka Fitzpatrick, uh, he actually got shaken up on the hit that injured Nick Chubb. He got hurt later in the game, a chest issue, uh, trying to dive from behind to catch Jerome Ford. And by the way, Jerome Ford looked good in this game, a lot of explosive plays. I think you leave him alone as a starting running back, and anybody else you bring in, they don't need to bring in a Jonathan Taylor or if they bring in somebody like Kareem Hunt, they bring him in as a backup, let Jerome Ford cook. Uh, but Fitzpatrick got hurt chasing him from behind. He's playing the most important position in football, playmaking safety, so the Steelers can ill afford to lose him. So uh, there's, that's just one thing to keep an eye on. But the Steelers, after two tough, tough games, they get the Raiders. As far as I'm concerned, that should be an easy win for them. So we'll see what the Steelers do moving forward. But uh, the Steelers are just happy to be on the board at this point because it was looking rough. Uh, up until late in this game. All right, so that wraps up our NFL Week 2 discussions. We're just going to go to what's happening around the sports world. Uh, For those of you who don't know, WNBA playoffs is underway. Uh, Washington Mystics uh, did their best to try and get a W against the Liberty, but as we know, the Liberty pretty much has a super team. uh, and Most people think the Aces and Liberty are all meeting in the finals, Uh, but the Mystics took them to overtime uh, tonight, and they tried their hardest. Uh, to, to pull one out, um, but they just couldn't get it done. So, again, I'm going to be paying attention to see if the Liberty and Aces actually do make it to the finals because I think if they do, two super teams coming together, that will be a really interesting WNBA finals. Um, moving to the MLB, Otani, for people who don't know, uh, had finally had his elbow procedure. They've been talking about it for a while. He's not going to... Uh, not going to be pitching for a while. He'll probably hit in 2024, they think. Uh, we'll see who he's with in 2024. But, um, uh, yeah, so Otani had elbow surgery. Baltimore Orioles clinched a playoff berth um, with a 2-2 split in the series against the Rays. And then they had a walk-off win last night against the Astros when Cedric Mullins hit a three-run home run, which was nice to see. Uh, Baltimore, uh, stop putting in Fujinami, please. We don't need to see that anymore. Um, but the MLB is going to be exciting, man. It always is. There's always at least one race or two races when you get down to you know almost October baseball, and um, it's, it's going to be another one of those things you know where – especially in the AL West. Uh, we know the Mariners got really hot, and then they kind of went back to earth, and, and now that whole division is Astros, Rangers, Mariners are .5 games back from each other. So the Astros are in first right now, but they're on a two-game losing streak to the Orioles. And um, the Rangers and Mariners are right there, man. So uh, it's going to be really interesting to see how that plays out, the AL West. Um, you know, Central is most likely going to be won by the Twins. Uh, but then, you know, you got wild card, uh, you know, you got a lot of, you, again, ALS, AL East is pretty much fighting for that wild card, uh, unless the Guardians can have a quick turnaround and, and the Twins fall apart. Uh, it looks like the Twins are going to win that um, division. And uh, again, though, they have less wins than the Blue Jays, Rangers, and Mariners, and Astros. So 
I'm ready to get rid of divisions, Julius, in most sports. You know, we've had those conversations. Um, Braves clinched the NL East, which is they their whole team is having a hell of a season. Um, right. Brewers look like they're going to clinch the Central, uh, which was a tight race for a little bit. Then they kind of pulled away uh, recently because the Cubs fell off. The Cubs are three and seven in their last ten. And then uh, Dodgers clinched theirs. Uh, but the Padres, just a super disappointing team three years in a row now. I know they made the playoffs last year, but uh, just super disappointing. Uh, but again, so uh, the wild card is going to be exciting, though, because right now the Diamondbacks are in the wild card. Um, yeah. Which would be exciting to see. But the Marlins are hot right now. They're 6-4 and four in their last 10, just like the Diamondbacks. Again, the Cubs are falling back. But Marlins are only .5 games back. The Reds are only one game back. Um, it's going to be exciting in the NL because a lot of those teams are young up and coming teams, right? Besides the Phillies who are sitting there with the first wild card spot, Diamondbacks, Cubs, Marlins, Reds are all young, uh, and have exciting players. So it's going to be really interesting to see again, Tampa Bay's already clinched the playoff spot. So if they don't win the division, they're definitely getting the first wild card. Uh, if, if they do clinch the division, then the Orioles are getting the first wild card. Both of them have already clinched the playoff spot. That's just how much better they've been. Uh, than everybody else this year. Uh, but again, you got Blue Jays, Rangers, Mariners, all about one game apart. And then you have the Yankees and Red Sox kind of back here, but in reality, I don't think they have to worry about them. Uh, but it's going to be a fun, fun stretch uh, of baseball uh, this last few weeks of the season, Julius. Uh, fun stretch indeed. I'm definitely rooting for my Diamondbacks to hang in there. Uh, just a couple more baseball notes. Uh, the Texas Rangers, who you talked about, they're in the midst of a fight for the division and for a wild card spot, potentially. Max Scherzer, uh, the big midseason trade acquisition. He is likely done for the season with a triceps issue. So that hurts the rotation for the Rangers. You, you got him for a reason. Uh, the Rangers still have a pretty decent rotation in place as long as their other guys stay healthy. Uh, guys like Nathan Diavaldi. But, uh, Losing Max Scherzer is, is, is not what you wanted if you're Texas and you're in such a tight, tight race. Uh, just a note from tonight, Blake Snell uh, threw seven no-hit innings tonight and was taken out of the game. Welcome to modern baseball where uh, load management uh, precedes all. The bullpen goes and gives up a couple of hits. Uh, the Padres do win in walk-off fashion. A Xander Bogart's walk-off home run, but... Uh, Blake Snell, seven no-hit no hit innings and walks away with a no decision. That's just amazing to me. And it, it's interesting because the, the NL Cy Young race is so tight. Uh, no-hitter would have looked good for Blake Snell, who has a strong case in his own right uh, for the Cy Young. Now, if you look at the ERA, just how effective he's been. He had a nice scoreless streak earlier this season. Um, but... Uh, again, not able to get these wins. And part of that's playing with a disappointing Padres team. So it's going to be interesting to see how it goes. You have Spencer Strider, who's got a lot of wins. I mean, you're pitching for the Braves, so you're going to have a lot of wins by default. And a lot of strikeouts, way more strikeouts than anybody else. Spencer Strider leading by a mile there. Uh, but his ERA is a bit pedestrian for a Cy Young winner. Uh, you have Justin Steele, who's also in the conversation as well. Just a very tight, tight race. I don't know who's going to win the NL side Young. I keep hearing about Justin Steele of the Cubs per, perhaps winning it, but uh, it could go three or four different ways. So that's just something to keep an eye on. Uh, moving into a little college football real quick. Uh, Alabama, they benched Jalen Milrow after the loss to Texas. 
a game I thought that Alabama would win, but uh, Quinn Ewer showed up in that game, and, and Alabama's offense nor defense really showed up in that game. Milrow was the scapegoat for that game. Alabama goes and plays South Florida. Tyler Buckner looks completely clueless at the quarterback position. They bench him. Uh, Ty Simpson comes in. He looks better than Buckner, but still not good. And now you're back to Milrow. So it's just a mess at the quarterback position at, at Alabama. Uh, they're still 13th in the country, but of course that's unacceptable for Alabama standards and for Nick Saban standards. So there's panic uh, after one loss and it's not going to get better as far as I'm concerned, at least not immediately. Uh, Michael Penix Jr. Is a, is a guy to keep an eye on. I know all the buzz is about Shador Sanders and Caleb Williams, but Michael Penix Jr. in that same conference uh, deserves some of your attention as well. Uh, three straight games with 400 yards passing. Oh, and well over 400 yards passing. He absolutely decimated the Michigan State defense. And of course, Michigan State's got bigger issues with their football program right now than what's happening on the field. But a distracted Michigan State team was absolutely destroyed by Michael Penix Jr. And Washington is one of the more fun teams in the country to watch. Just keep an eye on Penix moving forward. Uh, speaking of Colorado, uh, Travis Hunter, who's the best two-way player I've seen. He's basically the Shohei Otani of college football right now. Uh, he took a, a cheap shot, just a really, really dirty shot from a Colorado State team that made no secret that they were trying to play dirty in that game. Uh, Hunter Blackburn delivered a very late hit, a shot to the liver, and that's going to keep Hunter out uh, for the next few weeks. And so Hunter is going to miss uh, big-time matchups against Oregon and USC. I just hate that as a fan of football, as a fan of sports, but uh, that's what happens when there's a target on your back and Colorado has that target. Other teams want to make their names off of Colorado, so you get dirty stuff like that. Uh, credit to Colorado for coming through and still winning that game. Shador Sanders deserves a lot of credit for engineering a magnificent 98-yard drive to get that game into overtime, and Colorado was still able to take it from there. But they will miss Travis Hunter in the next couple of games. Uh, Florida State, they survived uh, against an inspired Boston College team that was playing for their uh, tradition of keeping their 9-11 hero alive. Uh, they played for that guy, and, and they looked like a team that really wanted it for their guy. Uh, but Florida State able to survive an injury scare to Jordan Travis, able to survive a late game collapse and just barely hold on for the win. Uh, Florida State's having a nice start to the season, so they needed to keep the momentum going. But uh, Boston College made them work for it. And lastly, Missouri with an upset over number 15, Kansas State, a 61-yard game-winning field goal by Harrison Mevis. Props to him. The longest field goal in SEC history and the second longest walk-off field goal in FBS history. So a big moment for him. He's the most popular kicker in America right now. Good for him. Good for Missouri, who's been irrelevant for, for, irrelevant for a long time in football. But they had their moment this past weekend. Yeah, um, that's one of the longest field goals I've ever seen in college. So definitely a big shout out to him. Uh, yeah, just to piggyback off your college football, you know, this next week coming up is going to be there's a lot of big games in the top 25. So you are talking about Colorado and Oregon. Uh, and yeah, the Hunter injury just sucks, um, especially since it was a cheap shot. Uh, the kids shouldn't be receiving death threats, though. That's you. People take things way too yeah, far. Yeah, no, you, no. There shouldn't be death threats. Um Again, it was definitely a cheap shot for people to try to say it wasn't. And anyone try and cover that up? It definitely was, but no, not not enough to receive death threats. Um, so, but you got Colorado, Oregon so it's nineteen versus ten. You got UCLA and Utah twenty two versus eleven. Ole Miss, Alabama, which is going to be fifteen thirteen. Um, you got 
Oregon State, Washington State, 14-21. You got Ohio State, Notre Dame, which is 6-9. and nine. That should be a fun game. You got Iowa, Penn State, 24-7. and seven. So just a lot, a lot of ranked teams playing each other. Hopefully good football. Uh, you hate to see those games that are just randomly. You don't see them as much anymore because of how big the conferences are getting. But you just hate to see yep. those random games of like Florida versus Charlotte. You know what I mean? We don't need to see Florida beat up on Charlotte. You know, we don't need to see Georgia beat not, up. Not week three. No, we don't need to see Georgia beat up on UAB. Like I just like I'm 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 with you, Julius. Like if that's a week one game and you're just gonna make that the college football preseason, sure, let's do that. But I don't need to see that in week four. You know what I mean? Like week four of the yeah. of the college football season, I don't need to see, you know, those games. I, I just as a yeah, I, so I'm happy that so that would be the one good thing about um, conferences becoming super conferences, and hopefully that gets rid of these these BS games that you can schedule, and maybe you'll just play all conference games. But uh, week four should definitely be exciting. I mean, you do see we'll get Florida State-Clemson. I know Clemson's not ranked right now, but uh, that should still be a good game as well. Um, and so, yeah, man, it's going to be real exciting college football uh, this coming this coming up week. And the Pac-12 is a fun conference this year. It's just, it's a shame it's disappearing, but it's a fun conference this year. Yeah, uh, there's two guys trying to keep the Pac-12 name alive, so we'll see what happens with that. Uh, but I'm not a fan of the super conferences, but I also understand that the NCAA and all these colleges and schools are just after the money. So I, I, mean, I can't really blame them for trying to get more money for their programs and themselves, but... It, it definitely is going to alter the landscape of college sports, uh, and, it's, and I don't think in a good way. I don't think so either. As a graduate of an ACC school, I am not welcoming Child and Stanford with open arms, but uh, this, this is where we are. Uh, logic be damned. Geography be damned. It's all about the dollar. As always, we appreciate any time you've given to listening to this podcast. We don't expect you all to listen to everything, but if you did, we appreciate you even more. Uh, Shout out to our international fans. We love y'all. And come back next week for some more in-depth analysis on uh, each NFL football game. And we'll obviously discuss anything big that's happening in the sports world. So, as always, you can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. I guess X now. I'm sorry. X, uh, Instagram, Facebook. Um, That's at at Two Guys, Four Balls Podcast. Um, you know, we're always posting content and answering questions and anything you guys want to hear, just just reach out to us. Uh, again, we appreciate all the listens. Thank you for listening to the two guys for the podcast.